Ladies and gentlemen, we, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. Turn that on, right? Turn that on. Helps it work a little bit. It is the day after the uh, 16th year of uh, the attacks on 9-11-2001. It is September 12, 2017. Um, a lot of information to get into. We have a great program lined up for you tonight, of course. Now, the first half hour, the first segment, we're going to be getting into some, some topical news analysis information that you need to know. The um, we're going to be uh, Gary Hunt's going to be checking in with us, of course, um, at the uh, during the next segment. And then we have Daniel Horowitz, the author of an unbelievably great book, uh, "Stolen Sovereignty." We're we talking about a number of things there. You, you can't. You, I just can't wait for you to hear what he's got to say. Then, of course, Stan Dale, uh, wrapping up our number three, and uh, a couple of things before we get into the program. Speaking with. Uh, I was speaking with Ted Brower this, today. Folks, uh, they're fine. Everything, everything's fine. They're in business. They're up and running. Healthmasters.com. They're, uh, I, th- I think they lost power for like, uh, 24 hours. It was, it was just a very minimal amount of time. But healthmasters.com, Doug Five. And, and what happened was because of the timing of the hurricane over Florida, of course, I think people just thought, man, they're you know they're buckling down. Bottom line is they they are open for business using the coupon code Doug Five, and even better. I, I asked Ted. I said, so okay, you were in Orlando. How bad was it? He said, it cost us twenty bucks. Lost twenty dollars screen, uh, patio screen. That, that was it. That was That's the damage. Good. So, you know, uh, was this overhyped? Yes. You know, yes, I'm sure it was. But then the question, though, I have is, how, it's really a no-win situation. I mean, okay, is it? it is and it isn't. <clears throat> and I agree with you, but we, um, I was getting into this a little bit on our show today. The 185 mile an hour winds, right. the storm that hit part of the Caribbean islands and, and what it hit before that was a real threat. Yes. But when you see um, all these news stations, you know, tracking Irma seven different, you know, seven days before the storm gets there, nu- calling it a nuclear hurricane, um, you know, mandatory evacuations for a state and a half almost before it even got within 100 miles. Yes, it's good to be prepared. Yes, there was very minimal loss of life. Uh, praise God for that, too. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people prayed when they saw some of that video coming off the um, <clears throat> the islands of St. Martin. And uh, Eric, you got to play that, that my dad's favorite song, so I can get the name of the, some of those uh, islands down there. Yeah, yeah that's it. There you go. Um, but favorite no, song. I mean, it was a real Stuck threat, obviously. But there is a point when you overhype it. And just to give you an example, there was an article on Dredge from Bloomberg today. Wait, 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 before you get that article, though, but didn't, weren't some Nike shoes saved from the hurricane? <laughs> Did you see the Mark Dice video? No. Folks, okay, I wish we could play that right now. Um, Mark Dice did a video 
either yesterday or the day before. I believe it came out yesterday. And it was really good. I mean, if you are one for sarcastic humor, he superimposes his own voice over Anderson Cooper and Don Lemon doing coverage of looters. It's called People Rescue Air Jordans from Foot Locker during her. Wow. And that does, okay. So, so I he does a spin up. on it as he's Ander, pretending to be Anderson Cooper and Don Lemon talking about the, the, uh, looters or the, uh, brave men and women who went out and rescued other people's property from the storm damage. And he does it from, from that point of view and gets into, I mean, it's real sarcastic. It's wow. real funny. All right. But, um, yeah, right. you got to watch that after the show. Okay. Now, now I, I do have kind of an announcement as well. And again, healthmasters.com, open for business. Uh, didn't miss a beat. I, I do suggest people go ahead and order. Uh, and, and I think, I think that the storm, you know, prevented some people, some people thought, hey, they're shutting down. Well, no, they're open for business and they're ready to go. Doug Five is a coupon code. So, um, I do, I do want to make an announcement. I'm going to be absent the next three days. Um, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be traveling to Branson, Missouri, attending the True Legends Conference. Not as a speaker, not, uh, not for any, um, my presence, I, I will be there. Uh, my intent is to, well, I, I've got some business to take care of down there. And, uh, I, I'm going to be talking with Steve Quayle, meeting with him, meeting with, um, Henry Groover and others that will be down there, Pastor David Langford, um, everyone down there and others. So, um, just as an FYI. So John is going to sit in for me and, uh, it should be fun. It's, it's going to be, yeah, I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, the, uh, the, the crew here keep going at, at the studio. And, uh, but having said that, uh, Expect some pretty interesting reports. I, I do intend to report. It, it, it Maybe not contemporaneous. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure yet, but what I bring back is going to be, I, I think, incredible in terms of some of the information that um, everyone's going to want to hear. So and that's just something I thought I'd let you know. And um, so, Eric, the tech, working hard John and Joe in front of the camera, Eric behind the camera, Jackie, fully manned, fully staffed studio as well. And, uh, so it's going to be good. All right. Now, if you wanted to <clears throat> roll your vacation into a retirement, you can see how the, the studio and everything works in your absence. Now, I'm not urging you to retire. I'm just saying you can retire. Consider. No, no, that's. But I know you. It's not you in my future. That's not in my future. No, no. Cut my brake lines. You, you know, um, yeah, that, there you go. Um, Seattle Mayor Ed Murray to resign following multiple accusations of sexual abuse. I don't know how many people have been in the news for a long time. Um, yeah, I know. <clears throat> with I other know. scandals surrounding him. But, but I, I want to just bring this up again. You, you know, he's planning on resigning. Fifth accuser, who happens to be the mayor's younger cousin. He ran uh, with these accusations and won yep, the election under the the yep. uh, you know call boys coming out and and exposing him. There was I think two at the time of the election. But I, I think in this case, this the reason I bring this up and the only reason I bring this up is because people are saying, well, you know what, things are not happening with respect to Pet- Pedogate. Yeah, they are. 
it's no is this connected to what you know what we believe the Washington DC inner circle Peter Gate not directly but indirectly and I'll just leave it at that um there's there's issues that have to be adjudicated yet before but but you're going to see watch this case closer as well as the Sandusky uh information that's coming out with respect to Sandusky additional tidbits here and there um so just understand there there are good people out there who are standing behind the rule of law and are going after politicians and this guy is one of them meaning this guy is one of the accused mayor of seattle just to be clear um i got a uh, so a story that's a uh, pretty interesting um coach dave will like this a high school has banned God from attending the game. At least they, they banned yes. organized prayer due to a complaint about a high school reciting prayers over the loudspeaker during last year's football season. The school decided to ban the practice, the prayer, opting instead for a moment of silence. However, two teams in Clay County, West Virginia, ignored the ban completely. On Friday's season opener, the Clay County and Braxton County high school teams did something unexpected in the wake of a school's decision to institute a moment of silence and replace the previous prayer that opened the games from last year. They gathered in the center of the field, knelt down, and bowed their head for the moment of silence. Once the moment of silence started, both teams began uh, to pray out loud in unison. And um, the school even commented and said, this is a situation that is out of our hands, unfortunately. And um, But it's a really it's a feel-good story about um people still doing the right thing and coming together and still uh despite a ban from you know their authorities the high school kids both teams uh prayed out loud during the moment of silence that they implemented as a replacement for the prayer from last season um pretty interesting story now to some political and uh other news folks go to hagmanreport.com Check out the latest there. Um, Peter Chowka has written another article today that's up there that's really good. I'm not going to really get into it. It's about Eric Bowling, son's junior, Eric Bowling and his son, his right. son and the media coverage that, uh, the left wing media outlets like Huffington Post, what they're doing with this story. And if I can just say this, I spoke with Peter Chowka today and, uh, asked him if he would come on tomorrow night specifically to discuss this and other issues. So tomorrow, the second hour tomorrow night, Peter Chalker is going to come on, and uh, the information he has, and I would urge everyone, please, please, tell everyone you know to, to, to tune in to uh, tomorrow night, Peter Chalker, the second hour. Uh, the information he has is just critical. People need to know. And also, on HagmanReport.com, he's got his own section of articles there. So on the right-hand side, you can go directly to his articles, or you can go within the body of, of the website. He also has articles at AmericanThinker.com. I, I do want to let you know that uh, that the information he's got is new, it's critical, it's um, it's important. So, and folks watching on YouTube, you can see right under the Twitter feed section yep. of our website on the right hand side, right under that is Peter Chowka's own section. That's right. Thanks, sir. And, and he's a prolific author and, and a tremendous man and intellect. And, and what's taking place, by the way, Joe, at, at Fox News 
uh, and with the alternative media, with the honest media, is extremely critical. And, and this, believe it or not, th- there's another reason for my travels to my leaving the, the studio for three days. And I don't, I, I don't want to be cryptic about it, but, but there, there's more than one reason. And, um, one of those is to address some issues with respect to the censorship of the alternative media. And I'll be meeting some people that, um, uh, on Thursday, I'll be meeting some people early in the morning to discuss certain things. And then also the expansion of, uh, actually the expansion of our investigative team at homelandsecurityus.com, which is part and parcel to this. So it's a multifaceted absence, but, but you guys don't care. I just thought I'd throw that in there. Want to uh, jump on some Hillary Clinton news? She seems to be making a lot of headlines across the the uh, world of journalism with the release of her new book. What happened? From blaming um, today, there's a headline about her blaming Bernie Sanders for not handing over or uh, conceding the Democratic nomination early enough. To yesterday, there was a headline where she blamed uh, in an interview she did on CBS. She blamed everything from Russia, Facebook, fake news, sexism, misogyny. She said she was just a a, a pretty face. <laughs> that, that's what people. <laughs> that's what they said. That was just a, another pretty face. Another pretty face. Who Today, said that? Are you sure Clinton said oh, that? Oh, I'm sure. Uh, this is what she wrote in her book. Today, uh, there's an article on Newsbusters. Clinton media landscape unfair to Democrats. Right has dedicated propaganda channels. This, after a headline on Drudge today, points out that since Trump has <clears throat> been uh, in office, he has received 91% negative news coverage. Yes. And that was even higher, I would say, during the election cycle. But, but, but here Hillary Clinton's blaming the media, the last and right. only people she can't blame for her that's election right. loss, on the election loss. And, and it's interesting to me, because uh, between January and April of this year, the... the, the uh, um, there was a there was an agency that did actually uh, a survey a, a research survey on the coverage on Hillary Clinton and specifically well I'm sorry uh, on Donald Trump and the the negative coverage of the media ninety three percent topped or NBC topped ninety three percent negative coverage for Donald Trump and that went all the way down to fifty two percent for Fox News and uh, so there it is. Um, and everything in between, with most of the numbers being above 75% negative on Donald Trump. And, and I, the reason right. I said that is because the media has never been more favorable to Hillary Clinton than subsequent to the loss of her election. Chris Cuomo, we did everything yeah. we could yeah. from CNN, said that. Even he said, as the media, we did everything that we could. She goes on to specify in the article... Um, this is from a liberal podcast formed by former Obama speechwriters called Pod Save America. A little play on God Save America. <clears throat> she called out the media for putting Democrats at a disadvantage, saying the media played a false equivalency with her and Trump in their reporting. Clinton had also blamed right-wing media outlets for not giving Democrats a fair advantage because supposedly there's no left-wing media outlets. Right no. off the bat, the interviewers were out for cheap shots against the right. They go on to ask her what the first question, what advice would you give them about how to grapple with the kind of sexism you grappled with during the campaign? 
Eric the Tech is rolling, laughing over there. But <laughs> he's that's, got me that's laughing incredible. pretty good too. Um, oh my goodness! Anyways, it goes out to she. She went on to blame not only Bernie Sanders for not immediately endorsing her as candidate, but shifted the blame to right wing media propaganda channels as the real problems Democrats face. I think we face a number of obstacles that the other side has dedicated propaganda channels. That's what I call Fox News. It has outlets like Breitbart and, you know, crazy info wars and things like that. And it's funny, she calls out Fox News, <clears throat> yeah, which is um, very liberal-leaning for a conservative news organization and is the only one out of the, out of the four uh, cable news, 24-hour cable news networks that just isn't in the bag for all liberals and promoting a liberal agenda. She had ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, MSNBC, on and on and on and on, NPR. But she's going to go uh, and say something about Fox News, who's probably just as much in the bag for the globalist agenda uh, as all the other outlets. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's a joke. She's just making excuses for why she lost, and she'll never point out the actual reason, which is her and her ideas, her history of corruption, her inability to connect with the American people because she is uh, so out of touch. I was wondering, you know, we have um, ancient and older leaders who have left uh, terrible marks on society. You know, you have, uh, what are some of the names that we've, we hear? Ivan the, the terrible and, um, they have all these, you know, nicknames for these dictators. What's Hillary Clinton's nickname gonna be? I was thinking the about yuck. that today. Yeah, I, I figured that's what you were gonna say. <clears throat> but, uh, one that, one that never else. grew on you, but nonetheless, uh, we had fun with it. But uh, either way, you're gonna see a lot of Hillary in the media over the next few days because they, Continuing to give her airtime, interviewing her for her book, What Happened. And I like the uh, little image. Um, it's two images next to each other. One is the cover of her book, What Happened. And then the next one is uh, a picture of Donald Trump on a book, and it says, I Happened. I thought that was pretty funny. What Happened, what happened Hillary Happened. That's exactly right. Um, <clears throat> we got this story last night right after we ended our show. National Guardsmen arrested for threatening to assassinate Mike Pence. A 22-year-old National Guardsman was arrested for talking about killing Vice President Mike Pence before his visit to the 9-11 Memorial yesterday in Pennsylvania. No, that's some serious. I, when you, you read the article, Guardsman, that's serious. It's kind of weird. He didn't say, I'm going to go kill Mike Pence. He said, if somebody paid me the right amount of money, I would do it. So <laughs> it's not a, a specific threat, but sure enough, obviously, he said what he said. Um, the exact quote says, if someone pays me enough money, I will kill the vice president. Witness said they uh, contacted commanding officers after they heard Dunbar uh, make the statement. His name is William Robert Dunbar of New Jersey. He was charged Saturday after his comments before Pence's trip for the annual observance of the Flight 93 crash. So that's uh, something that's in the news that you should keep your eye on. Also, Michael, Michael Snyder has a Fantastic piece that we have up here on HagmanReport.com. Debt nightmare. Does anyone actually care that our exploding national debt, and you open the story, is destroying our future? And it's a really good article about how we are willing to enslave future generations financially by racking up uh, trillions of dollars of debt. Now, rightfully so, each and every American is not waking up every day making the choice 
<clears throat> yes, I'm going to go, you know, further, further into debt. This is the government debt, which they continue to collect every quarter record amount of taxes, trillions of dollars in taxes, yet still fall hundreds of billions, if not more, short of meeting their budget. And we're already hit the $20 trillion debt mark. And uh, Snyder points out that the debt ceiling has been lifted, that numbers are expected to shoot up very rapidly towards $21 trillion before the end of this year. That's only one quarter away, a few months away. And it goes on to uh, talk about how we are committing national suicide. And I think it's a really good article. Um, as Michael Snyder is running for Congress in his local district. And I know we have an invitation for Snyder to come on our uh, daily show on Friday. And I'd like to get more his take more on exactly where he sees the economy going. I know it's <clears throat> not the greatest news, but we still have a stock market at $21,000 and um, a still-functioning economic system. So how is the debt going to affect the economy going forward? Are we going to see... A, a lower dollar? Are we going to see wages decrease, if that's even possible? Um, how are we going to see this rolled out is my question. So we're going to have to talk with Michael Snyder about that. Um, here's something that <clears throat> I want to get your take on, Dad. The Pope questioned Donald Trump's pro-life stance based on his immigration policies. Pope said... It's a fallacious someone, argument. Right, it's a false intellectual uh, so, logic, twisted right. logic. He goes on to say, could someone with Trump's views on immigration be considered pro-life? And this is something that the uh, left-wing media has been doing for years, and even the right-wing, right-wing media does it. You can have one set of facts, one story come out, and you can get two sides of the story. You can get the spin from the left and the right. And you see that a lot. But with this, um, you know, they go on to in the article to talk about a Senator Elizabeth Warren making some false equivalencies. Uh, you know, people who are pro-life obviously don't want women to get cancer screenings and blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, they equate abortion with women's reproductive health issues, and that's not the same as abortion, in my opinion. And your views and policies on, on immigration have nothing to do with your views and policies on abortion. Don't confuse the two issues. Uh, well, it's, it's, trying, it's, it's playing not the most common denominator mentally. Well, yeah, there's two separate. I, I mean, they're they're just two distinctly right. different issues. And the, um, the yeah, I, I, you can't even entertain that no. logic at at this point. Um, however, it's interesting because I, I think what we're seeing here is the, and more importantly, is when you see the Vatican come out with this, you're you're looking at a um, Christian power. Structure now, people will say, well, yeah, yeah, I, I, I get, I look, I get that, okay. I understand that, okay. But you're looking at this uh, religious slash Christian, Judeo-Christian ostensible power structure weighing in on this, and and many will ask, or many have asked, well, how would the, the uh, culture allow, for example, uh, such things as the mark of the beast or the um, you know, how could it be so bad where no one will be, you know, there's not going to be any believers, true believers left. And, and this is how it's going to be facilitated in my view. Uh, I, I think the, I think the socialist agenda, and it is a socialist agenda, I would say communist agenda, 
but uh, socialism is communism basically without the guns. So in this case, the socialist agenda being pushed by the Vatican is going to grease the skids for this single one-world religion, much like we saw Obama or Bush greasing the skids for the Obama regime to to go in office. And I think, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think that there's there there there's there are uh, levels here, and uh, kind of like Kramer's department, make levels. Now, there are different levels, and I think that we're seeing this this run-up toward this uh, single globalist religion through a socialist Vatican, through a socialist power structure that is going to legitimize things like uh, no borders yet uh, and legitimize abortions. But but in a backhanded way by equating or attempting to equate, well, you're inconsistent in your thinking. Right. And it's kind of a twisted sense of logic, but, but people will get lost in that and attempt to argue in those. To me, I, I would never even entertain that question or right. entertain that uh, argument. Question for you. I saw this today. I'm sure you saw it. Judge orders probe into Hillary Clinton lawyers over destroyed emails. The circuit judge in Maryland ordered the state to... A state bar to open an investigation into three lawyers who allegedly deleted thousands of Hillary Clinton's emails. Name the lawyers. Uh, uh, Cheryl, Cheryl Mills. Cheryl Mills is in there. Yeah, all the three. Heather Samuelson. Yep. And uh, I have to open that. I read this earlier, so I don't have the name. Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, Heather Samuelson's involved Let me there. See. Well, now Judicial Watch has been working on this, and and they've been doing a great job. The this is perhaps one of the most important issues of the day. The emails, you know, just because Hillary Clinton lost the election does not mean that she should not be, be subjected to the rule of law. Right. And this is, this is only the beginning because you're talking about 33,000 deleted emails. No one's talking about this. And you're talking about an additional tens of thousands of emails on Huma Abedin slash Anthony Weiner's electronics phones and laptops and desktops that we haven't even begun to talk about yet. David Kendall, Cheryl Mills, and Heather Samuelson. Okay, we got two out of three. David Kendall. Yeah. Folks, you're listening to the Hagman Report. We're right back. Stay right where you're at. Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. In a thrilling series of novels, T.C. Joseph takes us into the lives of three families who struggle to maintain normal lives in a world where conspiracy theory and Bible prophecy collide. T.C. Joseph's viewpoint of alternative history and understanding of prophetic events will change your view of the world and the events on our horizon. 
Kirkus Review states, readers of end times fiction will be hard pressed to find it done more intriguingly than this. Extremely readable and fast paced. Blue Week Reviews boldly states, fans of Tim LaHaye's Left Behind series and Tom Parada's The Leftovers will find this thought provoking series absolutely riveting. Order your copies of T.C. Joseph's This Generation series from Amazon.com. Book 1, Precipice. Book 2, Pentecost. And Book 3, Penance. Uncertain times, it makes sense to have a sustainable backup method to cook food and boil water. If your current plan includes using a fuel burning stove or cooking over an open fire, then there's a much better way. The Miniman Rocket Stove is a biomass burning cooking stove that only requires small quantities of sticks and twigs for fuel. The Miniman Stove is easy to use, smokeless, portable, powerful, and sustainable. For the finest in survival cooking stoves and fire starters made right here in the USA, go to MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden. Exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in this community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. This edition of the Hagman Report, I'm having trouble speaking today. We're having Mr. Gary Hunt come on uh, here in just a few minutes. He had a hearing on August 23rd, 2017 in Portland, Oregon, that dealt with the, the Bundy Ranch standoff and his role in uncovering undercover FBI informants in the, um, I guess you'd call it the Bundy Camp, uh, from the Maur Wildlife Refuge standoff. And he's going to come on to talk about the uh, freedom of the press hearing in Portland, Oregon, that he was a, a part of, um, that he has come on to talk about before, where they were arguing issues of jurisdiction and um, the standing of the case. And apparently he has an update on that. He has not written out an article of it yet, but he has issued a, a press release. And his website is Outposts of Freedom. And then... Um, we got some great guests coming up after that. So we'll be with Gary Hunt in just, in just a few moments. Folks, want to uh, draw your attention to Drudge Report. On the left-hand side under the main article, great again, median income rises to highest on record. Um, maybe we'll we'll see if we can, uh, with our, our second-hour guest, Daniel Horowitz, break this down a little bit. I know he's not coming on to talk about the economy, but he is coming on to talk about 
Trump and some of the things that are ongoing in the Trump administration. Tax cuts are uh, one of the things on the agenda. But this median income rises to highest on record. Is this a product of actions made and done by Donald Trump or confidence in him in the market? Or is this something that he is dovetailing off from the past, I guess, is my question. And we will uh, find that out. Also, iPhone apparently dropped or released a new iPhone today, right? Is that right, Eric? Do we know? It was a... See? Remember the first iPhone release? Like the old uh, Microsoft computer software releases, you know, Windows 95 and, and 2000, where people stood in line uh, to get these things in big presentations. Uh, now, you know, it's just a headline on a on an Internet forum or website, and nobody skips a beat. Nobody's camping out days to see these new gadgets. Um I don't know if it is it, the uh, headline on Drudge is Apple slip, and they're making the case in some of the articles also that there's not enough new technology that smartphones have been the same for a long time that they need a new type of iPhone to roll out to rejuvenate the excitement in those markets. And that's neither here nor there as far as my care level or really I'd say most of the, the country um, you know, whether you have a a few changes to your iPhone, like a headphone jack or where the volume buttons are, not really that big a deal. Um, folks, again, I want to push you towards HagmanReport.com. Bookmark that site. Make sure you, you check that daily as it is uh, being put together uh, not only by myself and Eric, but people like Stephen Menking, Peter Chowka, Ted Brewer. So many people are being able to post their own their own content on a regular basis. And that site is being uh, populated heavily. So I urge you to uh, make sure that you bookmark that site and check it regularly. Wanted to get into an area I don't think we're going to have time right now. I know we got some emails asking us to address the speculation that Donald Trump could be being poisoned or medicated while he's in office. I talked about this in my or during my uh, show this morning from 9 to 10, and you can t- tune in to... Uh, Doug Hagman investigate in the Doug Hagman investigative hour from nine to ten, and your show, Joe and John, the Hagman Daily Show, the Hagman Daily Show, two to three p.m. I talked about this. Uh, Keith Schiller, the body man for the president, is number one aide, former NYPD detective. Um, the as Roger Stone describes him, the man who puts you know, Donald Trump to bed at night, and he's the last person he sees at night, first person he sees in the morning is being pushed out by General Kelly. And when I say being pushed out by General Kelly, I'm using, uh, I'm, I'm kind of using some liberties here. This is my interpretation, my, my view okay. of what's taking place. It, it, it's, it's, Kelly has um, really isolated Donald Trump in, in such a way where everybody, everybody has to go through uh, John Kelly. And Kelly was the former cabinet secretary, DHS secretary, then chief of staff. And as chief of staff, he's, he's isolated Donald Trump. And what's taking place here is um, the isolation of Donald Trump. Now, the issue is, and this has been reported more than in more than one place by more than Infowars and by more than Roger Stone, is that there's been signs that Donald Trump has been Fatigued, and even to the extent of during conversations, uh, slurring some words, kind of like just listen to me. Uh, uh, no, I'm, I'm kidding with that, but 
but there are some questions. You know, could, could something be taking place here within the inner circle, within the? Uh, and I think it's a little bit too early for that to take place. But don't forget, it's it's uh, defeat the. And, and I again, I said this in my morning show. The process is defeat, and if you can't defeat, then delegitimize. And if you can't delegitimize, then you destroy. And if you can't destroy through uh, normal political means, then you remove. And but but that's the process. And I think that's the process that Donald Trump is going through right now. We're being being uh, put on Donald Trump. So yes, could this be happening? I, I think more so now than ever before, as we see the uh, the neocons who are part of the deep state and uh, the other individuals who are part of the shadow government, two separate entities, one deep state being a subset of the shadow government. We see this taking place, and I think that this we need to keep our eyes on this very carefully. We have with us now, and, and you're right, I want to get into that. We have with us now our guest, Mr. Gary Hunt, his website, outpostoffreedom.com. That's outpost-of-freedom.com. In an ongoing court battle, last time we talked to him, uh, Mr. Hunt, welcome back to the Hagman Report. Well, thanks for the invitation. It's good to be back. And just to let you know, your video is not turned on. If you wanted to, to jump on well, by you video. you were planning on video, yep. yep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Minor things. I Still old-fashioned. No, I hear, I hear you. There, there you we go. go. Hey, there's a good-looking guy there. So, All right. Uh, so... Now, you, you've got, you issued a statement by, uh, well, you issued a statement regarding the Freedom of Press show cause hearing of August 23rd, 2017. What's going, what's going on with your case? Um, you want to just lay it out that we... Well, at this point, that's the end of the case. On uh, August uh, 23rd, we had the uh, show cause hearing. And uh, Judge Brown said that she was going to issue an order, uh, finding of facts and law. Uh, and that she would take a while to do it, and it came out on the 17th of September, and, and uh, I've sent John a copy of it, but uh, right. basically she she found, it's kind of interesting, uh, I had a conversation with Skylar Barbo, when you talk to somebody in prison, they give you the warning that this call's recorded, and to cheer him up, I told him we're going to, you know, we're going to uh, maybe get some uh, informants to testify uh, in the, the next trial, uh, now she took that as fact, but then on, uh, and there was more, no moral or legal obligation behind what I said to Skylar Barbeau. Uh, however, uh, on the stand, taking an oath, uh, uh, where there's legal and moral obligation, I explained the circumstances around that, that my purpose has always been to inform the public, and I understood that, uh, that the defendants might benefit from it, but my intention was to inform the public, and she decided that that was the fiction, and the fact was my conversation with Skylar Barbeau, and uh, on the basis of that, she determined that I aided and abetted, and it, Skylar wasn't even one of the defendants, that I aided and abetted the defendants, and the court did have jurisdiction, and so she's giving, given me four things, or three things that have to be done, and uh, at that hearing, I uh, agreed, I agreed that I would comply with the court if she found jurisdiction. And, you know, what am I going to say? No, I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. I might not have gotten out of court without uh, yeah, yeah. Without agreeing to that. Yeah. Bracelets on, yeah. But um, the conditions are 
pretty simple. The court directs respondent to remove all excerpts and references to the substance of the CHS reports from his website. Uh, that's one. Number two, the court directs respondent to destroy all remaining copies of the CHS report that he retains in either physical or electronic form, subject to the single exception below. And number three, the court directs respondent to certify his compliance with steps one and two with a statement under oath filed in the record of this matter by the same deadline. Now, the deadline is tomorrow at noon, Pacific time. And the uh, below is I can give a copy, which I have to my attorney, should we prevail in appeal. Uh, whether we're going to appeal or not uh, is another question. I'm talking with some other lawyers that have worked on freedom of the press issues. Uh, the problem is I don't have big guns behind me, and so if I go to appeal and lose, we create stare decisis or case law which would make it more difficult for somebody in a like situation in the future to prevail, especially in the Ninth Circuit District uh, uh, area. Uh, so the decision whether we're going to appeal or not uh, is, is being discussed at this time. But I fully intend to comply, but as you see by that statement, I'm encouraging people to uh, uh, download the information, and uh, over 800 people have gone and gotten the PDF, and... Uh, People are copying the pages. The traffic to my website has been uh, phenomenal. A few thousand visits in the last two days. So, okay. uh, And uh, Gary, give out, okay, give out what you want people to download, and your website is outpost of freedom hyphens in between the words dot com. But give out the exact document, documents that you want people to download. Slash blog, outpost dash of dash freedom slash blog. All right. there's also a URL, uh, outpost-of-freedom.com slash informants.htm. At that uh, address, there's a PDF that has all the, uh, let's call them offending articles in a single PDF. Uh, at the blog, you can uh, go to the series list and go to Burns Chronicles and scroll down through it, beginning with uh, num- Burns Chronicles number 30. You'll find... Uh, a number of them that have names, Burns Chronicles, NN, and then a name like uh, Mama Bear or uh, Mark McConnell, and those are the offending articles. Now, by noon tomorrow, I will have taken all of the excerpts out of those articles. The articles will remain up, and it'll say redacted uh, everywhere I had an insert that was from the CHS report. So the articles are going to stay up. Uh, I don't believe in... Uh, removing things once I've written them, but they're going to be redacted in, in compliance with the court order. Uh, I, my attorney affirmed that he got the uh, CHS reporting file, so I've deleted from my computer all the CHS reports that I had. Okay. And uh, so I will be in compliance, but I'm encouraging everybody to uh, download those and, and, and share them. At least we know who nine or 12, whatever it was, however many ide- identified uh they're informants. And in, in, in the hearing, uh, Jason Kruger, FBI Special Agent Jason Kruger, testified that one of the informants uh, had to be relocated. Now, that's interesting. So these guys are part-time employees, but the government will relocate him so he can go inform on other patriots. I've never even heard of that being an – okay, so if – at best, as an informant, they would be an operational asset, not in the direct employee of the, of the, of the FBI. But the, what you're saying is the federal government had to relocate that that asset. Asset, really? <laughs> at their expense. 
sworn testimony. Uh, yeah, even the hearing on August 23rd, he said that, and it just it surprised me because uh, I thought these were kind of uh, uh, freelancers. Sure. You don't relocate freelancers. No. They're assets at that point. Well, uh, but, in yeah. having been one myself for the Department of Justice and the FBI back in the 1990s, not something I'm proud of, Gary, but nonetheless, I, 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 did, I, I was an operational asset. You've more than made up for it. Oh, well, thank you. Um, I will say this. Yeah, there's, there was, <laughs> you're on your own. There is no relocating, um, at that level. Okay. Because I've never heard of that. And I, don't, I, I can't believe anything's changed since, uh, over the 20 years with respect to that policy. But okay. Wow. That's. Well, based on, based on testimony, both in Oregon and in Nevada, though, uh, uh, sworn testimony by FBI agents. Are they telling the truth when they cried because the uh, people had guns? Um, so you know, <laughs> you got to take the, what Kruger said with a grain of salt. I mean, he's he's trying to get the court to turn against me and and freedom of the press. And so is he willing to lie to do that to to say that the burden was put on the FBI because of what I did? So I don't know if it's true or not. Quite frankly. Wow. Wow. Okay. All right. So you, you've—I don't want to say—I don't want to say you've prevailed, but in a sense you have prevailed. But in a way, it's a kind of a push too. And if people download the articles now, they're going to get the unredacted version, right? They're going to get the unredacted version if they download them before noon tomorrow. Yes. Okay. All right. So, and I would okay. estimate that there are hundreds, or if not thousands, of copies out by this time. All right, and if you're now, now, let me toss this out there. What would happen, for example, if, and I'm using this as a hypothetical, we took those articles and uh, published the unredacted versions of the of of the articles on our website? Now, what would happen? You're not in violation of anything, right? That's that's correct, and and uh, you know the, the through these proceedings has been very. Uh, there were, were there two protective orders. The first one addressed defendants, their cohorts, and their attorneys and all that. The second one was directed specifically, as stated in the court documentation, at Gary Hunt, even though it, by its wording it encompassed the entire world. Uh, but they've made clear a number of times that it's only me they're going after now. They're, only, they're just being vindictive, basically. Right. Uh, there, there's no effort to try and remove them from all websites, which was in the original uh, proposed order. Um, so, uh, and they've pretty much made clear that other people can keep that up there. They can't. They. I think we got a little. I think we froze up there, Gary. Yeah, I'm not. Sure. Pardon me. Yeah. Okay. We, we you froze up briefly there, my friend. Yeah, you were saying that uh, thousands of other websites are allowed to publish it, and originally they announced that they would shut down it on all websites, and then you cut off. Yeah. Then, then they, uh, during the progressive orders, they've uh, directed it solely at me, and this final order is directed solely at me, and they've made clear that it does not apply to other people. Uh, I think they realize that if they uh, tried to suppress other people publishing that information, that they might open a can of worms that they don't like. Yeah, okay. Uh, now, uh, some some people have already gone and put in comments on the articles a link to where the articles are. Now, I have no control over comments, and I'm not going to suppress freedom of 
the speech by saying that you can't put that comment up there. So there will be comments that will have links to the entire article, even though my article will be redacted. Was that, uh, from what you read, that wasn't specified in the agreement? Um, and I'm not a lawyer, so uh, I'm just going to say I don't see it. I don't know how they can turn around but, and punish you for what other people have exactly. wrote after the fact. Right, and nor nor can they tell me that I can't allow people to comment on my pages. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, they, they have not been careful from the wording from the beginning. And so I'm abiding by the letter of, of this final order, the, uh, the finding of facts and law that she came out with. And, uh, you know, there's nothing in there that goes in any further than that. And, and, you know, what I see here, and, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I don't see, it's not like you're being a jerk about this. You're just, you may be pushing the envelope a little bit, maybe, if you kind of, you know, kind of wince and look through, but but even but not really, I guess. Um, the the thing I suppose that they would want you to do is just take everything down and, and forget about it and just go on your merry way. But but you're not going to do that. You, you you make the necessary redactions. They're still up, and uh, you know that that you you know that that's going to. Cause others to, to post this information elsewhere, but what are you going to do about it? But, 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 but hey, you're following the, 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 the law, the, or the judicial order, that is. The, okay. Well, she said, if I don't comply, there will be additional coercive action, but I'm, you know, from the beginning, I've tried to abide by the letter of the law. The right. first order named certain people. I was not among them. The supplemental order, uh, uh, she assumed jurisdiction through the entire world because it wasn't limiting it to me or uh, anything else. And now I've got this order, which I agreed to comply with, and I'm, I read it, and I read it over and over again. What uh, does it not say? What does it say? And I'm sticking to the letter of the law, so to speak. Am I pushing the envelope? Uh, yes. You know, I. but if, if they're so, I don't want to say stupid, if they're so uncautious that they... Uh, just slap something down on paper and said, this will do, uh, maybe they omitted something, but they omitted it. And yeah. this is the final one. I mean, this is it. What what do, what do you think the uh, the bigger picture here, Mr. Hunt, uh, freedom of speech, you're a journalist, you're publishing this information. It's really n- nothing that I've seen is malicious. Um, and truly, I truly believe any relocation is an overstatement. Hyperbole, perhaps, but I mean, wh- wh- how does this affect freedom of speech for journalists from your perspective? Well, that's exactly why there's uh, concern about going uh, to the appeal, appellate court to uh, establish stare decisis. Um, it, it's disconcerting, but you know, if it was mainstream media, for example, some of the discovery video footage was used in a uh, program broadcast on television. Uh, the defendants can't release that footage, but somehow a television station got a hold of it or some television uh, producers got a hold of it and did a video uh, with that information, and there wasn't a word said about what they did. So when you're a big guy in mainstream media and your bias is towards the government, I guess it's okay, but when your bias is against the government, well, that's not okay. Hey, well, um, you know, wrong, wrong administration uh, dissent was patriotic. Back in the the, the uh, or I'm sorry, dissent is patriotic now. Well, 
Never mind that. that, that that's kind of, dissent that's, has to be patriotic yeah. now because the government sure isn't patriotic. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for helping me out with that. Yeah, it's it, this. So this is incredible. So, but you, you do expect as of I mean, so you're going to comply with everything. Um, I'm going to comply with everything. Yes, and it's all going to be over and done with. You're going to be free and clear, barring anything, um, you know, to come out of left field, which which that doesn't seem like it's going to happen, right? I they would uh, be very. Uh, I don't know how to say it to. To try and restart this now would make them look stupid, right? And and well, that's as perfect. if they haven't already, I should say. Well, yeah, and and when you when you look at the case, folks, uh, you can go to the website linked off of Hagman Report. And you go to his website and take a look at the documentation and follow the case. And if you've been following Gary Hunt uh, as he's appeared on our program, yeah, exactly, look stupid indeed. Um, wow. All right. Uh, this is just. Uh, I could ask you how. This had a sting, uh, court fee or legal fee wise. This had a sting, right? Well, actually not. The, uh, the costs incurred, uh, I spent seven days in jail in Sacramento and, uh, the, uh, order that went down, I wrote an article about it. The order that went down made me look like a bad guy that I was going to resist with firearms and all this. And the court, the judge expected me to be I was arrested on Friday, and she expected me to be in Portland on Tuesday. And on Wednesday, she started calling around. On Thursday, we had a telephonic conference. And, well, when she called the Sacramento, well, he should be there by the 25th of the month. Now, that's about enough time to diesel. That's how much time it took John uh, Ritzheimer to get from Phoenix to Oklahoma to um, to Nevada and finally to Oregon. 25 days is the diesel program. And they were going to put me on the diesel program, and she got upset, and I got to uh, applaud her for that, that she got me out of jail uh, that the very day of the telephonic con- uh, conference. Got it. Okay. And so uh, uh, she was good on that, but then uh, my cost, the government is paying for Michael Rose, my attorney. Paul Boylan has been assisting, and he's doing it pro bono. I have had to pay my way to... Uh, Portland, Oregon twice, and uh, I did that. Uh, that was funded by contributions from people who donated to help me get up there. I have a Social Security check and very little more. Understood. And so, uh, you know, I, I would have to hitchhike if it wasn't for the uh, aid from other patriots to, to get me to Portland to for my appearances. Well, thank God. Uh, and, and, and thank you, everyone, for, for uh, helping out uh, Mr. Gary Hunt. Gary, we only have about a minute left here together um any uh what which what's your words of pearls of wisdom at this point hours out from closing this out well, tomorrow there are a number of people in oregon uh in the oregon case and the nevada case that are standing firm to their convictions uh i did a little part i only spent seven days in jail they've got two years in jail uh but standing defiant against the government is the only way we're going to pressure them back into compliance with the Constitution. Okay. And so it, if you're going to take a stand, make sure that you're not going to move your feet once you stand. <laughs> and, and you know what? We, we, all, we all better stand together. We all better stand together or we're going to hang individually, as the saying yep. goes. That that is true, and uh, in my case, the people came and aided me in making sure that I made my appearances, and uh, they stood with me. 
Fantastic. understanding with me now in, in copying and, and po- reposting all these articles so that uh, the world knows that these guys are informants, that they are spies against their own people. Stasi, KGB, come to mind. And, and we're not talking about for any noble cause either. In my view, we're talking about a uh, despicable, uh, despicable situation. If you, if, well, folks, if you know the truth, go ahead. 2004, uh, 2002, the FBI had 4,000 informants. This is a USA Today article. In 2007, they had 15,000 informants. I've been looking, and it seems to me that about a year ago I read that they were up to 30,000 informants. But we know by 2007, they had 15,000 informants. That's not DEA. That's the FBI. Just the FBI. Incredible. Gary Hunt is our guest. Patriot. Absolutely. Freedom, or Outpost. Of freedom, freedom. Uh, dot blog am I getting that right? uh, dot com. Yeah. I'm sorry, outpost hyphen of com slash blog. Right, hyphen freedom dot com uh, slash Gary blog. Hunt and yeah. uh, folks. We will be talking with Gary. I, I'm sure again in the near future. Gary, God bless you. Thank you so much for what Thanks, you do, brother. It's good. To, it's well, it's good to see you and it's good to hear hear you. And uh, you keep on keeping on, my man. We'll talk soon. I will. All right. You too. Thank you. Bye. We'll be right back after this network break. Greenovative. Go to HagmanReport.com. Click on the link to Greenovative. What Greenovative is, it's a small company in Florida. They created something called the GMAG Power Cell. It produces electricity by adding salt water to this unit that recharges rechargeable batteries. It's the coolest thing you'll ever see in your life. It's really neat. Really a, a super device. All right, you need just two teaspoons of ordinary table salt, a little water, but a bang, you're charging your rechargeable batteries. Super GMAG chargeable is affordable. It's lightweight, weighs about 8 ounces. It's durable. It's EMP proof. And it's environmentally friendly. Yeah, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, 6 AA batteries off the grid. When other power sources aren't available anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night, go to greenovative.com. That's greenovative.com. Folks, in these uncertain times, it just makes sense to have a sustainable backup method for accomplishing one of life's most important tasks, and that's preparing food. This is the way to go. There is nothing better than a Minuteman rocket stove from MinutemanStove.com. We all need a way to cook and a method to process water. Or, I mean, think about it. Think about the many things that could happen to you. Minuteman rocket stove can provide your family or group the perfect solution. It's small, lightweight, wood-burning, and every bit as powerful as a kitchen stove. It's smoke fully self-contained for clean storage and transport. Because it's so efficient, it cuts down on your wood gathering and processing chores to a tenth what would be required if cooking the old-fashioned way over an open fire. So don't rely on gas for fuel stoves. Prepare your family. Prepare for yourself. Order a Minuteman rocket stove today. It's going to make bad times much better. Folks, MinutemanStove.com. MinutemanStove.com. Need I say more? You should have a Minuteman, the survival stove in an M.O.K. 
For investors, timberland has become the symbol of safety. Global tropical timber demand continues to surge as the world's population increases. The need for managed, sustainable timber production forests has never been greater. When stock markets crash, trees keep growing. Direct ownership of fully managed tropical timberland acreage is now available to accredited investors. Prime, valuable hardwood groves close to the beautiful Costa Rican border generate and maintain superior long-term wealth. Consider visiting our forest plantations. Qualified, accredited investors should go to PreciousTimberProfits.com or dial 855-888-6288 for more information. Call 855-888-6288 or visit PreciousTimberProfits.com. This announcement does not constitute either an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offering made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288, PreciousTimberProfits.com. PreciousTimberProfits.com. And welcome to this edition of the Hagman Report. Doug Hagman, Joe Hagman, together, America's premier father, son investigating reporting team. Wouldn't you know it? Can't find the file. Can't find it. Can't find it. What am I referring to? Oh, yeah. You see, 2017 is when uh, additional J- JFK assassination files are, are scheduled to be released. Guess what? Whoops. Can't find the uh, batch of CIA records on Oswald. What huh. a surprise. Where did they go? Did we check... Um, He's dead now, but uh I can't I'm blanked out on the name. The guy that went in the National Archives. Come on. You know who I'm talking about. Yep, stuff that's stuffed on his socks and pants. I'm glad I'm not the only one. But uh no, it, it's 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 really not serious it's nothing to laugh at. Uh the a raft of uh, CIA files are have gone missing. And of course at the time when they were due to be released. And we saw this uh, M. Stanton Evans, one of my favorite authors, uh, in his research for Blacklisted by History, searched National Archives and for records um, that dealt with Joe McCarthy and the speeches and such. And even as late as the 1990s, uh, such files were removed from the National Archives, intentionally removed from places where they should have been, almost 50 years beyond the date that they took place. In the fifty, in the nineteen fifty, so you've got to ask yourself why, and think think of the connection too, the relation to the uh, takedown of the statues, our, our history, the assault that's taking place on our national history, and you might think, well, that's that's kind of a weak argument, but it, it doesn't matter. The erasure or uh, censorship of our history is a, a very uh, socialist, communist tactic. By the way, I want to mention again, healthmasters.com in business, in business, that's right, in business, healthmasters.com, Doug5 is a coupon code, not affected by the hurricane, still in business, Doug5, coupon code, 5% off, get your multiple vitamins from healthmasters.com. Now our guest coming up is Daniel Horowitz. He's the author of a book, I love this book, I actually have it on my Kindle. It's, uh, Stolen Sovereignty. Now, I gotta tell you, it's a deep, it, it, to me, it's, it's a, a very well cited, very well researched book. You can get it at the WND Superstore. Just go to superstore.wnd.net or, the, uh, I'm sorry, dot com. 
WND Superstore. Just search it and use promo code Hagman, H-A-G-M-A-N-N. And there, that uh, we, we get credit for that. But uh, it's a great book, Stolen Sovereignty, WND Superstore. And Daniel Horowitz, no relation to David Horowitz, by the way. Daniel Horowitz is a senior editor of the Conservative Review of Conservative Review. He has previously worked and written for the Madison Project, Red State, and Breitbart. You can follow him on Twitter, on Twitter at rmconservative. His most recent article, by the way, Surge, exclamation point, Illegals Rush the Border for Trump's Promise of Amnesty. Check that out. Check that out. It's it, seriously, it's a, it's a good. Um, He's got some hard hitting pieces yeah. up here. Um, let me see. What was the one I was just reading? And by the way, this just came out at conservativereview.com. But his book, um, you know, with all the border crossings up the past four months after failing to uh, record lows, by the way, it's quite evident that the promise of dream amnesty is the linchpin to the cycle of open borders. Now, this is where we're going to be talking about this and a whole host of other issues with Daniel Horowitz. And again, his website is conservativereview.com. Do we have them? There's a story on Conservative Review, um, and I saw this yesterday. I saw that there's a video of this, and this is from... Uh, there's the, pol- the police officers sparked national outrage when a video emerged over the weekend of a man operating a hot dog stand without a license on UC Berkeley campus having his earnings literally seized out of his wallet by a University of California police officer. I mean, they took his, they said, you don't have a, in the video you can find, it's you know, a I, I, somebody had sent me, he basically a, said, this is your fine, opened his wallet and took the money out of the guy's wallet. Yeah. Left. And and uh, somebody had asked me uh, whether I knew if the campus police had, because that was a campus police mm-hmm. action. And I know that campus police in many, now it, it, I, I don't know this to be the case in California, but I know uh, certain campuses here in, the, in uh, Pennsylvania, the campus police are commissioned police officers. So they're sworn police officers. Now, I, in, in some areas, I believe they're, Kind of modified security guards, not to de- not to denigrate security guards. I'm just saying that there's there's different there's a huge difference if you're commissioned versus not. But nonetheless, that to me is something that uh, that smacks of uh, yeah, of some like, abuse and whatnot. Yeah, definitely. And long story short, the guy was operating a a hot dog stand without a license outside of a, a football game, and they seized his money. Well, a GoFundMe account was created. And their goal was to raise ten thousand dollars to help them. And they've already raised fifty two thousand dollars. <laughs> it's a lot of hot dogs. <laughs> it is. All it's right, we have our our guest Daniel Horowitz, folks. Um, and again, conservativereview.com, and that's where you can find that story of over fifty two thousand. By, by the way, that, that, that's almost as much as raised uh, than the Obama paid for that hot dog party at the White House, right? Importing hot dogs from Chicago. Oh yeah, I remember that uh, emails that came out through the yeah. Podesta emails. That's right. Well, oh. we want we want to welcome with open arms Daniel Horowitz and his website conservativereview.com. Daniel Horowitz, welcome to the Hagman Report, sir. Hey, great to be with you guys. Thanks for getting me out of doing bedtimes tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I remember those days. Can you imagine putting this one to bed? Uh, never mind. 
but, uh, well, hey, it's, it's good to have you. You wrote a powerful, powerful book. Tell us, uh, let's talk, let's start talking about your book because I, I love it. I've got a copy of it and it, it's, it, it's just to me, it's, it's, it's one of the better books I've read about the, um, judicial, the problem with the, with the judicial system, for lack of a better short description. But tell us about your book. Sure. Well, you know, the funny thing is there's less to say now because we're living it. Yeah. I wrote this book about a year ago warning that you can elect your favorite person for president, your favorite individuals for a senator, governor, state legislature. It will not matter. Pick the, the 10 things you want to do to restore the Constitution, to restore religious liberty, Judeo-Christian values, and most importantly, national sovereignty, immigration sanity, putting Americans first, as, as the president campaigned on originally, and the courts will nullify every last thing we do. And in this book, I challenge the basic premise that in a constitutional republic, the unelected branch, what was supposed to be in Hamilton's words, the weakest branch to have neither force nor will, with the power not only to decide every single political and social issue of our time, but to actually go ahead and change God's law, change natural law, flip everything on its head. A Somali Muslim sitting in some shack in Somalia or Yemen have an affirmative First Amendment religious liberty right to immigrate here now, but American Christians will bake the damn cake. Um, you know, you, you're seeing... We had a hurricane in Texas, but there's been a judicial hurricane there just the last couple weeks. Lots of people aren't focusing on that. A photo ID at the polls, thrown out. Sanctuary city laws, gone. The ability to cooperate with ICE, can't do that. Um, the, the most gruesome abortion, abortion practices, uh, where you literally suck out the baby's inwards, um, the dilation uh, procedure, that was banned by, by the Texas legislature with overwhelming support. Guess what? That was completely shut off by the courts. Every single district. You know, what's funny about Republicans now is that we know they don't care about conservative values, but don't they care about getting reelected? Guess what? They're codifying disparate impact, the Democrat racial agenda into the 14th Amendment, the First Amendment, to say that there is a 14th Amendment right for because blacks vote predominantly Democrat for, for them to maximize the Democrat map. I could go on and on, and I'm sure we'll have time to get into some of this, but this at its core is the stolen sovereignty where the individual no longer has the ability to control our own destiny, and as a nation as a whole, we no longer have national sovereignty because our borders and our national determination have been completely erased by the courts. And it hasn't stopped, even under or despite Donald Trump. It hasn't stopped. It's it's still it, it, everything we see. I mean, it's still going on, despite the fact that you wrote this book almost a year ago. Nothing has changed, right? Nothing. Very little. Except it almost reads like a prophecy. I mean, yeah. as I I predicted, I open up chapter four and I call it the final frontier in uh, judicial supremacy that they've redefined marriage, they've redefined human sexuality now, um, they've thrown out the core constitutional rights we do have, created f- phantom rights that, that are not just 
you know, unfounded in the Constitution, but antithetical to natural law, nature's God, the preamble, the Declaration of Independence. But they are going to go on to immigration, take over immigration. The thing about immigration is, and really a big part of my book, a big part of my writings, really what I'm writing about now, what's going on in, in general, is the breach of the social contract, the social compact, the role of government to to represent and be of, by, and for its citizenry. Um, you know, we're guaranteed the rights to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness in the Declaration, but there's also the fourth, what I call the fourth right in the book, popular sovereignty, governance by the consent of government. And the most important, every decision has been taken away from the people. Either the unelected bureaucrats or the courts are deciding everything. So, you know, and there's a lot of discussion since I wrote my book, since Trump was elected, you know, what his agenda is kind of unclear, but at least the perception of what he was trying to do, the deep state, um, the courts, everyone else gets a say except for the people. But the most important decision a society will ever make is who we are going to let in to join that society and therefore vote and share in all the, the, the future decisions. And it's no, it's no coincidence that in his essay on sovereignty, James Madison used naturalization as the quintessential example of republicanism, why it has to derive its powers from the consent. You have to have consent-based citizenry. What we're seeing now is, um, certainly in the body politic, everything is about the dreamers, the Mexican nationals, nothing about the American citizen. But the courts are now codifying the rights, the concocted rights of foreign nationals um, over the rights of Americans. They have taken over um, national security, sovereignty. And as, as you read in my book, this was the area of law because of its nature of sovereignty that the courts themselves said for 200 years that they have no province, no dominion over the, that issue. It's up to the political branches. Now they have overturned that really in a year since my book came out. Very very disconcerting all. Um, now, I know we're going to get into this as we get close to the um, uh, to the end of the hour. And by the way, uh, I want to thank Global Star Radio Network. Uh, we're going to skip the bottom of the hour break because I think that the information that our guest, Daniel Horowitz, his website, conservativereview.com, uh, and his book, Stolen Sovereignty, uh, I think it's it's important for every word to really be uh, to be captured here, um, but but the, can, how to stop that too? How to stop the the? I want to tie this into a a present day scenario that we're seeing, Daniel, um, with, with stolen sovereignty here. We see this. Donald Trump um, was elected with an agenda. I believe the American people voted for his agenda more so than him, and also the fact that he was running against Hillary Clinton. Um, we know that the majority of American people agree with his agenda, put American first, fix the economy, uh, tighter borders and whatnot. But we see this battle between Donald Trump and what is being called the deep state, uh, the bureaucracy of government, the Obama holdovers, um, all these people that, and the media, everybody seems to be up against him. What can Donald Trump do inside of his administration to rid himself of some of the uh, Obama appointees, some of the uh, people inside the swamp. I know he has to give and take a little bit, uh, but what can he do to better protect himself and to get uh, a better unification inside that inner circle of the White House? 
Sure. I mean, th- that's the 800-pound gorilla in the room. Everyone's asking that question. And I think you really need to peel it back later. What is the Trump agenda? I mean, I know what he campaigned on and what certainly rung very loudly with the voters, putting Americans first, I think really summarizes everything because, you know, it's embedded in the mindset of all the leaders and of all the institutions in Western democracies to put their people last. That that has become the measure of, of intellect and, and uh, morality in Western democracies. Uh, so that, that really resonated. The, the problem is I would somewhat tweak the question a little bit. It's become the shallow state. <laughs> I mean, you, you need to appoint your, you need to have your own cabinet officials as well as your own advisors in the West Wing that share that message. And then in each respective sphere of policy, you rein in the existing, uh, incumbency powers there and, and fire the ones you need to. The problem is the shallow state he put in is antithetical to what he campaigned on. I mean, Mattis, Tillerson, McMaster, Powell, Cohn, um, and then certainly the big one is Jared Kushner. Um, you know, he's been working with Dick Durbin on immigration for three months, it turns out. I'm, I'm not sure what you do with that. And, and I think the best conservatives could do now is take the fight straight to the president and say, wait a minute, this is not what you campaigned on. Rather than tiptoeing around him, well, it's the deep state's fault, it's Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan, which certainly, look, they are who they are. Uh, we knew that, but that's why we elected Trump to change that. You're not changing anything. Um, and, and that starts with you know, one, of the, one of the things that a lot of people told me is that, look, Donald Trump's not ideological. He's certainly not really conservative, but he has some good instincts, and he's very loyal. Well, I haven't seen that. I mean, when you have the Trump loyalists, everyone to a person, thrown out of the National Security Council, who's president? I mean, I thought this was, this is a man whose entire catchphrase of his image was, you're fired. And instead of him firing, he's allowing his own people or his own appointees to fire his biggest loyalist trying to champion his agenda. I, I hate to sound so grim, but if Steve Bannon, if a guy like that couldn't last seven months in this administration, I'm not really sure what to do. Well, that's a great point. Yeah, and let me just let me just ask this question and take it which wherever you want to go. And I'm going to be as blunt, you know, as I as I've as I've conducted interviews sitting across from inmates in Attica. What in the hell's going on here? That's my question. What's going on with Donald Trump in his administration? What, who, who, who in the world is in charge here? And, and that's to you. I mean, r- really, help, help, help me understand. It, it, it's, it's a tough one, but, but, um, this is a man that, ironically, is very weak. I mean, people thought he was a strong man. So some people on the right were even concerned he'd be an authoritarian, and. Um, I was never worried about that. I mean, I looked at what he would do, and he, you know, one day he'd say, I hate Obamacare, but then praise nationalized health care. I, I mean, every day he says mutually exclusive things, and I think what really makes him tick is it's all personal. I mean, you could be a communist, but if you uh, assuage his ego, he'll like you. You could be a, a right-winger, if you assuage his ego, he'll like you, and vice versa. Um, you know, this is why McMaster is now, you know, has all this power, but Jeff Sessions is in the doghouse. He's upset with Sessions over, you know, the investigations and everything and over the Mueller business. 
it's all personal with him. I don't, I don't think this man, I think on some level he has some good instincts, but I don't think they're predominant enough that he believes within them in his heart and soul that he wakes up every day and says, what could I do to advance the cause against the swamp? I just don't think that that's the case. I think it's just chaotic. Um, and therefore, what that does is it leaves a vacuum. And a vacuum is always filled with something. I've read stories and I've heard from some friends, some, uh, friends that have left administration that in some ways this administration is more dangerous than, than any other administration because you now have all these Obama holdovers that see this play down the field. And they're thinking, wait a minute. We, we could fulfill our life's mission here because there's no one at the steering wheel. We could just take it and run, we, we could run the ball in the end zone here. Whereas even with Obama, he had his own people, his own agenda, um, which for the most part comported with the deep state's agenda. But here, these people specifically, and I think you're seeing it certainly with Kelly and Madison McMaster, they view it as their mission in life to hold down the fort, to keep the president from doing in their mind destabilizing crazy things, aka common sense. And, and that's the problem here. And until he, until conservatives grab him by the shirt collar and give him some tough love, I don't think things are going to change. And we, we've seen, you know, we, we've been paralyzed, I believe, in Mr. Horowitz, uh, in, in his book, by the way, folks, really lays out uh, a number of things, including how um, it's no longer sufficient just to uh, warn against uh, judicial tyranny, for example. It's time to fight back. But a uh, great book, as uh, folks go to uh, WND Superstore and grab a hold of your copy of Stolen Sovereignty. But but what I've seen here is this paralysis that's overtaken. And I think there's there's this attempt to isolate Donald Trump. We we talked about that uh, earlier in the, in the broadcast as well. I talked about that on my uh, program this morning, that there is this... this, this uh, this active measure to isolate Donald Trump, but what you're saying, if I'm hearing this right, is maybe Donald Trump was not ideologically married to the, or married to the ideological changes on which the supporters expected. Is that kind of what you're saying? I think it's obvious. I mean, many of us have argued that over the last year and a half, but I think, you know, that was up for debate. You had a whole bunch of people around him that, um, you know, more or less supported this agenda. Maybe they weren't constitutional conservatives, but I think they were committed to upending the system. They understood the problem with the elites, but they're gone. I mean, they're out. Personnel is policy. I'm not sure what you do now. I I don't think, I think it's pretty clear that this is not what makes them tick. You, You have some, I think this is unparalleled in history where you have an entire movement that cropped up around a person that never led the movement and is not about the movement. And really what this was is, is nothing to do with Trump. It, this was a culmination of many years of not just the conservative base, but I think and it's borne out by the electoral results. Um, Reagan Democrats in the Midwest were just sick of the cultural Marxism. And nobody's speaking to this. Not the Republican Party, not the pseudo-failed conservative movement in Washington. Um, you know, that, that, that's more about cliques. I call them clique-servitism. Uh, rather than actually, uh, you know, formulating a proactive agenda. And, and they just latched on to anything that sounded, you know, more or less in line with what they were doing. And in the case of Trump, um, I question whether he actually wanted to be president, whether this might have been just a vanity 
um, project, and he didn't realize how how starved the base was for some sort of common sense. And when he started talking about immigration in particular, he just took off. Um, and I think that just speaks more to the vacuum of leadership than really, you know, what he was offering. But now here we are eight months into the presidency, and we're in a unique situation where this man cares more about what the media says about him than actually advancing an agenda. I'll, I'll never forget last week, Axios uh, reported from, and they have pretty well-sourced well information, that he, he said the media has been incredible after he gave in to the Democrats on the budget battle. That mm-hmm. scares me. That yep. tells me that's what makes him tick. I don't know if that's what oh. makes him tick, but a part of his ego definitely can't let that go, um, judging from his Twitter responses. And, you know, and you can have that with the president in this day and age of social media and whatnot, if the agenda was first. Yes. Yeah. And, and let's, I... let, let's have something to fight with the media about over. Let's, you know, go ahead and shut off refugee resettlement, which he can do in, in, a, in a stroke of a pen this week, actually before the next, next fiscal year. Let's go and cut off Congress's congressional exemption from Obamacare. Let's end the bailout for the insurers. Foreign policy is a hundred percent within his control. You don't need the, you know, Senate parliamentarian to sign off and get around a filibuster. There's a lot of things he could do. Drive the narrative. Have something of substance to fight the media over. Instead, we're, we're just, you know, he says something, but then doesn't really does the opposite. The, the media responds. The conservative media counter responds. And here we are, and there's no discernible policy outcomes that are to our benefit. Right. And you just gave a, num- a number of examples of things that could be done by Donald Trump without having to wait. Uh, would you say that say this was brought to his attention or he already knows and he was willing to do these things that he would be met with resistance uh, you know you think he's talked out of these things or you think he's distracted or as you said earlier that he might not even um, realize how starved the base was for common sense messages about our policies and uh, just doesn't care about the it, it's all of the above I mean you need personnel around you to sustain a fight to sustain what you're doing. Um, you know, you see it all over. We see it even on a micro level in Senate offices. You know, Ted Cruz in his heyday, a couple of years ago when he was really fighting everything, he had an all-star staff uh, that just believed in it. They were smart on the issues. Um, I think with Trump, there, there's nobody there. <laughs> I mean, Bannon was the guy in Tonal. You had Seth Gorka. You had um, a couple other people working in that shop. Uh, they, they were let go. We had the people at the National Security Council were let go that understood the threat of Islam. Um, you know, Kelly, for example, uh, sec- he's not secretary, he was secretary Kelly. He was secretary of, of Homeland Security. Now he's chief of staff. He is guarding that gate. He, he views our views as insane. And the insane failed status quo as stable. Um, th- th- there's also something very interesting. I've noticed about Trump, his intuition during the campaign, to me one of of my favorite lines from him is when he had the guts to say, our generals have been reduced to rubble. You know, a lot of conservatives like to go after the civilian leadership, um, and that's problematic, but the cultural Marxism in Western democracies is so bad 
that it has rotted out even the military leadership in, in spectacular fashion. Not just America, you see it everywhere. You see it, it, Israeli uh, military leadership is the same problem. Um, and rather than follow up with that promise to fire these people, he took those very people and elevated them to civilian positions. So, I mean, this is who Kelly is. Mattis. Mattis was CENTCOM commander from 2010 to 2013 during the height of the failed surge in Afghanistan, where with 150,000 coalition troops, we couldn't do anything there. We failed miserably. We lost 1,000 troops, thousands more injured, doing who knows what, um, fighting for who knows who. And, uh, you know, Trump, one of the few good things he tried to do was get rid of the the transgenderism in the military. I mean, talk about destabilizing, talk about insanity. And yet, Dunford and Mattis were fighting him. I mean, what what is going on here? And and I think the final point, to, to get to what you're saying, is that, you know, you really have to believe in this stuff with all your heart and soul in order to fight such an entrenched, entrenched power. And maybe I'm going out on a limb here. I just don't think he believes it enough. I, I think to a certain extent, you know, if you focus his attention, he has a, a modicum of common sense. I, it's just not enough. And then coupled with the lack of personnel, I, there, there's not much to work with. Uh, I I tend to agree with you. Do you uh, Daniel, do you think that the uh, Steve Bannon leaving and the resignation of Gorka and their statements that they can, uh, they want to work and fight for the Trump agenda and they could be more effective outside of the White House. Do you believe that or do you think that was a cop out? <laughs> I, I definitely think they could be more effective, but I think the cho- choice is theirs. Um, I have a big disagreement with my colleagues. Uh, all my colleagues I'm seeing just, you know, in this movement, they're, they're tiptoeing around Trump. You know, it's amazing. Trump could do something directly, and they'll blame it on Ryan, blame it on McConnell. And again, I was fighting those guys before it was cool, but they're irrelevant now. Um, they refuse to take the fight to him. And the good thing about Trump is he's very sensitive to conservative criticism. He really is. Um, you know, it's part of his whole business that he watches Fox News all day. Like you said, he sees it on. He, he, you see it on Twitter. He, he, he he's listening so often to. These sources, I heard from one radio show producer that he was calling in a number of times during the Obamacare debate to, to promote the fake repeal and, you know, fight the Freedom Caucus back when they were trying to do real, real repeal. Uh, he, he cares what conservatives say about it. And I think if you had Rush and Sean and Laura Ingram and Drudge take the fight right to him, I think uh, he, he would change. I think he does, he is definitely very sensitive to the fulfillment of promises. We're working on you, that, you, Daniel. You, you can tell that. You, you can tell that he wants to show he's fulfilling them, but he's not. Um, and, and it's all smoke and mirrors. I, I think to, to kind of come full circle with sovereignty, stolen sovereignty, I've, I have fought amnesty for 12 years, the 2006, 2007, 2010, and 2013 amnesty fights. We are under the gun right now under the biggest threat we've ever had because Trump is now lending his name to an, a sense of urgency to block out our needs and to promote, a, you know, if not executive amnesty, but legislative amnesty without any understanding of preconditions, what we need to get. And everyone's ignoring it because nobody wants to go after the guy. And, you know, I keep telling people this is not about whether you're for or against Trump. We're for the republic. 
you know, where he's helpful, let's cheer him on. Where he's not, he's got to hear from us. Otherwise, you know, Ryan and McConnell certainly don't care what we say. Do you think that it's desperation from the people who voted him in to cling on to that something that, uh, which is Trump, which, you know, is, has the agenda, he has the agenda wrapped up in, inside that presidency, and we don't see any movement forward. Do you think it's, uh, you know, a last ditch, last gasp hope that something good is still going to come out of, of Trump and, and quickly? Do you think they'll back him up no matter what? Because I know what you're talking about. I've seen, you know, I follow internet forums and comment sections, and there are many people who defend Trump to the point you can't even be critical, uh, even in a, in a constructive way about they're policies. As bad, they're as bad as, as the, uh, you know, burning Hillary supporters. And the def- defending of, of yeah. Trump's bad decisions. Uh, you know, you get railed even by your own, uh, you know, friends if you ha- say the wrong thing about Trump. Do you think that they're just, this is the last uh, gasp of holding on to what they hope will happen versus the reality of, of what's going to play out? I, I, I think there's a mixture of a particular idolatry we're seeing because people are so de- desperate, put all their host- hopes and aspirations in Trump. You're definitely seeing that, um, you know, it is only seven, eight months. And even to those of us that follow the administration, the personnel very closely, we see this as irremediably broken. But, you know, it's still not as apparent. Keep in mind, to your average voter, they think the big headline from the last two weeks is Trump got rid of DACA. <laughs> you know, and then the media fighting him on that, so now we got to defend it. And really, I mean, it really hasn't really gotten gotten rid of it. And in fact, using it to pressure Congress to mm-hmm. downright pass legislative amnesty—that's the bigger problem. But I think that's lost on a lot of people. And I, I think also in general, this is just the culmination of a failure of the Republican Party and the broader conservative movement, even before Trump. I, it, it's the soft bigotry of low expectations. Democrats don't have that problem. They don't take it personal. Um, to criticize Obama. They did it all the time. They forced him to the left. And, and he welcomed that. Because then he, he got to feign this, you know, fake sense of moderation. Well, my base, he did this on immigration all the time. Well, my base wants blanket amnesty. And here's what I'm going to do. Um, you know, so if Trump really shares our agenda, he should welcome this. But, but the fact is, I'm, I'm literally at the point where, well, Daniel, at least we have, uh, Scott Pruitt. You know, you get 80% of the administration, a bunch of Democrat leftists. Well, not everyone is. Well, well, Daniel, he got, he, he did the Keystone Pipeline. We got that for free. I mean, duh. There's no sense of proportion. What you get for free, what you don't have to fight for. Um, you know, they, they, they take a Gorsuch, Gorsuch. I mean, lovely, but the reality is the lower courts, as you know from my book, are irremediably broken. We're seeing that. It's not Trump's fault, but you know, we, we need judicial reform. We need to stop listening to, um, lawless court decisions. That's what ultimately needs to happen. Yep. Um, and, and moreover, gee, with control of the Senate, and you have to get rid of the filibuster and noms anyway, which they did, what are you going to do? Appoint another Anthony Kennedy? I mean, you did that for free. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're, we're, we're terrible negotiators. We, 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 this is what we are. We're always giving excuses for the acts of political adultery, and we got to stop it. I, I, mm-hmm. I love it. Our guest is Daniel Horowitz. His website, conservativereview.com. His book, uh, absolutely incredible. By the way, a review on your book. I, I, I wish I would have said this. Folks, go to WND Superstore. Stolen Sovereignty. How to Stop Unelected Judges from Transforming America. Promo code Hagman. 
Yes, promo code Hagman at WND Superstore. Thank you so much. I wish I would have said this. Uh, I think it was the first reviewer, one of the first reviews from Dina V said, Soul and Sovereignty is a book that's long overdue. In a perfect world, this book would be mandatory reading in high school civics. The book itself is about how our government has strayed so incredibly away from the constitutional foundation with respect to our judiciary. But we're in this conversation, we're getting into a lot of subjects. And Mr. Horowitz is really gracious with his time and expertise and extremely prescient political analysis as to what's really taking place right now inside well I guess I'm going to have to ask is there a hostage situation in the White House I don't know um, but I think you're right I think I think everything you've said you're, you're right on the money with respect to your analysis uh, p- please continue and take it anywhere you want to go uh, because you're hitting so many important points that uh, man I, I'll tell you I, I could listen to you for days <laughs> You know, it's good letting off steam. I mean, after a long day, it's just maddening. And, um, you know, thank God I've been in a position where I could speak the truth and I'm going to continue doing it. But look, misery loves company. And, you know, uh, some of my friends call me the prophet of lamentation. But you need a Jeremiah before you have an Isaiah and an Ezekiel. you got to recognize the severity of the problem um, and understand where we need to go. One of the things I do, I have a podcast, Conservative Conscience, uh, daily articles at Conservative Review – is like you mentioned, I go back to first principles, but like you see in my book, it's not just abstract first principles, history, constitution. I take that into specific issues, what I believe not only we should do, but what's politically achievable. We understand that there's education problems, there's dependency problems because of a hundred years of progressivism, turning away from God's law, but there's a lot of things, you know, God is presenting us with an amazing opportunity. The Democrats aren't responding to Trump by nominating Jim Webb, you know, by kind of, you know, wrapping up their their progressivism and more patriotism. They are not going to nominate people that make uh, Obama look like like a patriot. I mean, they're going to start defecating on cop cars, you know, middle of the primary. You know, just <laughs> these people cannot control themselves. Mm-hmm. That's true. And it creates an amazing opening rather than saying. Well, Daniel, did you want these people to win? You have to vote for the lesser of two evils. Let's, let, let's move beyond the 30 years of lesser of two evils. Let's chart a new course. Let's look at the achievable. You know, and that's the thing. I, I, I believe there is a majority of people that want to get rid of cultural Marxism, whether it's sanity and borders and immigration, free market health care that gets rid of, um, the insurance cartel, which is propped up by government, getting between you and your doctor. You know, whether it's reorienting our foreign policy to just making the right investments in the right allies and not in the enemies and just doing insanity. Um, that's the good news. In, in Washington, you're going to have 100% against you on the most common sense things. The people are with us. Um, you, you know, not that Confederate monuments are the most important thing, but but it's just emblematic of, of this gulf um, right when this whole business came out. So Republicans, and, and you saw some of these, you know, those type of conservative publications, there was this clamor to pander. Oh, my gosh, we got to, you don't understand, we got to put out our statement as if somehow we have a guilty complex, like we're Nazis or something, so we have to somehow address it. And lo and behold, they, they, they had polling, which they, you know, shoved under the rug and within 24 hours, three, four polls, that three to one, the people don't want to get rid of that. 
In Washington, mm -hmm. even the conservatives wanted to get rid of that. It's the same thing. Everyone wants dream amnesty now in, in, in Washington. Everyone. I, I can't find anyone who does it. No, no one is focusing on this. These people are retarded. They're <laughs> nuts. I mean, th this week they're focusing on, they have five hearings on bailing out the insurance cartel, the, you know, having the arsonists dress up as the firefighters. Nobody, the bottom line is you look at, and the funny thing is you don't even have to sound so conservative. This is a very populist message, but again, you know, populism rooted in the Constitution, not in nonsense. You look at the top five lobbyists for 2017, Chamber of Commerce, National Association of Realtors, and the next five are the insurance cartel. AMA, AHA, Blue Cross, Blue Shield. That's who they're listening to. This is not about right and left. Um, this is very bipartisan. You know, ironically, we have more acrimony in our body politic than ever before. And ironically, it's a unibrow party. There's more agreement on the fundamental issues. You should watch. They, they're having a hearing on dream amnesty. Um, later this week in the Senate Judiciary Committee. They've had five, like I said, five hearings on insurance bailout. You could not tell. It's, it's a transgender party, bisexual. I mean, you could not tell a difference between the R and the D. And again, unfortunately, Trump is getting sucked into that now. So, so that's the thing. I think there's a tremendous opportunity for someone to come straight up the middle. I don't mean middle ideologically. I mean middle and represent the people and say, wait a minute. This is a breach of the social contract. This is stolen sovereignty. The individual is not recognized. The state is not recognized. The national sovereignty is not recognized. Everything is dyslexic. Our foreign policy is backwards. Uh, the, the, the balance of power between the legislature and the courts. Um, man is woman. Woman is man. You know what's what's a fundamental right is uh, thrown out. What's antithetical to it is codified. What's a state power is made a federal power. What's a federal power, like immigration enforcement, is given over to sanctuary cities. This is nuts. It is. There's no one speaking to this. You know, you have elite, like I read about in my book, you have illegal aliens are now counted in the census. Talk about stolen sovereignty. Um, they're able to come here, have babies, unilaterally assert jurisdiction, the ultimate violation of consent-based governance, and uh, they, California gets an extra six to eight house seats because of that. A simple legislation to not count them in the census. Simple legislation fixing, not really fixing because it's not broken, but getting around the courts, stripping the courts of jurisdiction over these issues, of um, amending the Voting Voter Rights Act and motor voter law to ensure that illegal aliens can't get driver's licenses and don't vote. This is simple. Nobody wants this. These are 80-20 issues. You know, Conservative Review, we've been... Uh, chronicle and list of 80-20 issues. You know, we're not talking about getting rid of Head Start. We're not talking about, you know, abolishing the minimum wage. Things that, that clearly resonate if you articulate it. And I think that opportunity, because the Democrats are so insane, they're so easy to draw sharp contrast with. But again, unfortunately, even that movement that we had that latched onto this, they are so obsessed with the minutia of the day, um, just the tit for tat between CNN and Trump, they're not recognizing we're losing this. We're losing this. That that the election of Trump was re recovering the possession of the ball. We recovered possession of the ball. We didn't win anything. 
We didn't have it in the end zone, and now we're on the cusp of uh, fumbling it. Um, That's a good you know, analogy. An, an interception. That is my biggest concern. We have to recognize where the linchpins to liberty are, the linchpins to the republic are, what's achievable, um, which elections we should get involved in. You know, my personal opinion, and you can tell me if you guys disagree, is that ultimately, ultimately, the Republican Party is irremediably broken, that we will never, never solve this until we chart a new path and have a new vehicle. Um, and, and then I think really our ideas are very universal. No, I do agree that the, um, I believe that, you know, the, the, the members on the left and especially the right in Congress, uh, we have the 2018 uh, midterm elections coming up. I believe there is the opportunity to see a lot of change there. We've had a, a few guests on our show. Uh, Michael Snyder, he's running on, in his district. We had, uh, as a Paul Nealon who's running against Paul Ryan in Wisconsin. Um, this is an opportunity to move some of these pieces who are hindering, um, uh, the progress of this agenda out of the way at the same time, as you said, you need a strategy. You need to sit down because it can't just be uh, a blanket Republican vote because the Democrats, everyone says the Democrats are crazy. Well, that's the, the, uh, politics inside of the, the Democrats, mostly in the, in the media and some inside the, the Congress, yes, but there are going to be candidates on the Democratic side who might be more conservative and willing to work with conservatives and other. That, that's why I'm saying we can't just blanket you know, party vote this. I don't advise that ever. Um, but, uh, well, there's no party left. And, right. And we I need to find the, we need to find the people on both sides of the aisle who'll be able to work together to get this stuff done rather than continuing to vote along party lines or on, on biases based on, uh, if, if these people can't get, come together and, and get things like, uh, the simple repeal and replace done and, uh, just work together on anything. Then, oh, then wait, wait a second. Let's ask our guest. Can 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 the present company come together at all? Or or, or is it too? Is the ideological come divide controversial, controversial issues? Is it so great that it's just See, never going to happen? I, I, the thing is, I think if we actually had a party that was relentlessly consistent about following the Constitution and didn't have the glass jaw that the Republican Party has. I think you'd be able to bring, not everyone, it's a very divided country, um, but a lot of people together, because you'd focus on federalism. See, Madison said that the, the powers of the federal government are few and defined, dealing mainly with external issues of war and peace. And the state governments will, will deal with all the issues of internal order. And, you know, their powers are numerous. If you didn't have, the problem is everything is so wrapped up I think Rick Perry always said it the best um, when he said Washington is too damn consequential. And, and that's the problem. It's too big to fail because everything is wrapped up there. Uh, you know, if you allow California, and the blue states do it anyway. They do what they want. That's the thing. They don't listen to statutes they don't like, and yet red states listen to court decisions that nullify statute and natural law. Um, they're already doing what they want. We'll say, look, you know, you... You do what you want on healthcare, on education, on things like that, and then we would we wouldn't expend our national resolve tearing each other apart on all these issues because you kind of flesh that out through federalism. And then when it comes to things that should be no-brainers, North Korea, you know what I mean? Why should that be partisan? We should all have a, a you know a united national resolve. They have the ability and the desire to actually hit us. Nothing else that we're dealing with. The mud munchkins in Afghanistan, they don't have ICBMs, they don't have a Navy and Air Force, they can never hit us. 
Um, North Koreans can't. But everything is political. The weather is political. Sports is political. Be- because it's all wrapped up in this specter of federal control. So I think if you had a true federalist party, um, you, you could get out some of your fights through federalism, have some self-sorting, which we, we, we desperately need. I mean, you know, one of the big things with the swamp is the two-state solution. They're obsessed with that. We need a two-state solution here. But, you know, I think the best way of doing that is to return to true federalism, but unite under the same flag. I think there's a lot of things on foreign policy. What we're doing in the Middle East makes no sense. The alliances we're making and not making and doubling down on failure, I think there's broad support for changing course, um, as Trump really promised. But that ain't happening. Because the two parties, the leadership, will go with the inveterate institutions, the foreign policy think tanks, the um, the generals, which are rotten to the core. They're, they're the worst of the lot, and I'll say that any any day of the week. Um, you know, I might not, you know, some people might say, well, you don't know anything about strategy. How do you say they have bad strategy? Well, here's what I do know. If you're for transgenderism in the military, that tells me that your strategy is transgender strategies. So I'm pretty confident in saying that screwed up. The two parties are going to keep listening to that. We need a fresh start. I, I am convinced that every day we spend not trying to start a new party or at least create the environment and the rationale and the forward thinking issue by issue of what that should look like is a wasted day because nobody has explained to me. Um, let, let me say this. If your audience is unaware of who I am, what I've done, I personally recruited Matt Bevin to run against um, Mitch McConnell in 2014. I was involved with Dave Bratt running against Eric Kanner. I helped with other people recruit Chris McDaniel against Dad Cochran, uh, Milton Wolf against Pat Roberts in Kansas, a number of these races. Almost every major primary I've been involved in. And I can tell you it's irremediably broken. We lose al- almost every single one. You're putting in one to two good guys, some cycle zero, in a body of 435 um, per per cycle, the leadership and structure of the party is so broken, half of those guys go south on you because there's nowhere to go. It, it is just, you know, you, you would think after all the betrayals, we'll crush them, right? No. They get in there and they use their superior firepower, the industry money, to put out ads running on our positions, antithetical to why they're getting the money, and then painting the conservative challengers as liberals. That's what they do. They don't run on, oh, we need to bail out the insurance. We need um, dream amnesty. <laughs> they accuse our candidates of being for amnesty. I mean, you have this uh, right now, Rory Moore, I think, is going to be one of the bright spots, probably is going to win in Alabama. But Luther Strange, backed by McConnell and Karl Rove, are running ads saying he's a liberal and corrupt. And you can't win. You just cannot win in this party. And I think, you know, we just, we don't need to search for you know, some of, some of our friends, maybe some of your listeners think conservatism has failed. And therefore, we need to search for some sort of a European nationalism, secular right, right. nationalism, populism, some, some new ideology. It's not a new ideology that we need. It's a new vehicle and a new strategy to, to fulfill the timeless principles. It's, it's the movement we've had. The conservative movement has never been conservative. They've never been const- constitutionalist. Um, at, at a power structure level, that is the problem. Um, and, and like I said, well said. Party, by, by the way, well, well said. Exactly, well said. 
and if I, that is, a, in fact, when we isolate that, because I think what you just said there, Mr. Horowitz, is, is right on the money. Um, yeah, and it's not the, the conservatism has failed, uh, in the principle and the ideas of conservatism. It's the people who have, um, lined up under the conservative banner who are representing them, who secretly have other agendas, ties, and motivations, who represent the conservatives that failed. It's not conservatism or the founding principles that this country uh, was based upon that made it the uh, beacon of all demo- of, of uh, this constitutional republic all across the Western globe. It's not the ideas of Antifa and the communists and the cultural Marxists, cultural Marxists, Daniel, as you pointed out, that are winning the war of ideas in the hearts and minds of the American people. It's just managing to get the right people in there to uh, be able to navigate this through. And you say do that through a a new or a different political party. Where does that start? Does that start with a uh, a population base of, of citizens? Does that start with you know, filing papers in a, uh, to, to register as a party. How would, how would you go about doing that? How would the American people go about doing that? You know, look, I mean, some people are starting out there. There is a Federalist Party, um, that, that started up. Maybe there will be others. I, I, I have a couple ideas. I mean, depending on what happens with Trump, and I think, you know, 2020 might be the opportunity to do it from the top. Um, you know, you need, you needed an Abraham Lincoln. I know the party, the GOP did start before that. Um, and, and by the way, just keep in mind, you know, Kansas-Nebraska Act was the last straw that broke the, you know, Whig Party. That that was the consummate issue of the time, and they stood for nothing. We have Kansas-Nebraska Acts on every single issue. There is not a single issue, fiscal, social, national security-wise, that we have a united front in the Republican Party, or even a non-united front, to respond righteously on a single issue. Um, so we, we, we're beyond needing a new party. But I think it's, a, it's at a presidential level, is a way of doing it easily, Social media has really, um, you know, I think with success of shows like your own and, and, you know, platforms like mine, I think social media has become a great, great equalizer that Fox News won't necessarily have a monopoly on, um, conservative thought and, uh, relationships. And, uh, you know, it's the same thing with political parties. I also think, you know, there's, there's ways to do it within the party, um, or halfway. The Freedom Caucus should think about starting a Freedom Party. Um, Meadows, Jordan, Brad, they're well-known quantities at this point. Um, they could get elected in their district, maybe running as an independent at first to get around the, you know, ballot access problems because the two parties created, uh, just, you know, ins- almost insurmountable, uh, odds at getting on the ballot with enough signatures and enough time, um, before they can get, get a name off, off the ballot. We need to explore this. Um, another idea I have is state conventions. You know, we're not a democracy. We're a representative republic. And to be clear, primaries, you know, parties are private institutions. They could do what they want. But if you want to be at least within the spirit of the Constitution, people don't, people forget that before Teddy Roosevelt and the progressive Republicans, uh, you didn't have direct primaries. You had state conventions where the, the where neighborhoods, what we had, what we had in Utah, and I'll get to that in a minute, um, where you get together and you elect a representative because you don't know who these guys are. You have a conservative district, 10 guys run as a Republican. Each one curses out Obamacare and amnesty more than the next. But guess who wins? The guy who's antithetical to that because he has the most money and name ID. The people don't know. The activists know. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how we got Mike Lee. Guess what? 
not only didn't we pursue a convention model in every other state, they just got rid of it in Utah, and we just elected a, a Democrat in all but name only to fill Chaffetz's seat uh, that, that just got vacated. So, you know, this is something we could do in the state parties, maybe state legislatures, depending on the state, uh, you know, go to state um, conventions, and that will be a great equalizer. The special interest money doesn't matter now, because it's people like, like you and me, I guess, would be the ones that you know, are trusted to understand who these people are, what they really stand for, so they don't play this double game. But we have to recognize that we need to get there. I'm sick of hearing, Daniel, third parties don't work. Well, we don't have a, we need a second party. It's, the idea is not a third party. I think the Republican Party would go the way of the Whigs. Um, mm -hmm. It won't work for only one reason. The, the people we need to start it are too bought into the status quo. Uh, there's books to be made, there's Fox News appearances to be made, um, there's the click-servitism, there's a clicks for your website, the, the radio show hosts, it's too risky as a business model. And that's the sad reality of Conservative Inc. No, this that is sad. Um, more about a business than really advancing ideas. I did not get into this line of work to do that. Daniel, we're at the very end of the interview, but when you look what the founding fathers and so many who were here what they uh, gave up to establish the Constitution in this country, and you look at what what you just laid out as far as why we can't get people on the same page or to start their own political party, it's pretty sad where we come. We're going to have to have you back on in the future, Daniel. Yeah, we're out of time. And, and when you're not on Sean Hannity or Mark Levin or those programs, come back and visit, please. Anytime. Really enjoyed it. All right. Folks. God bless. God Our guest, you. Daniel Horowitz, his book, Stolen Sovereignty, and you can get that on uh, World Night Daily Superstore. Use promo code Hagman. You can get to it right off the Hagman Report at the top of the page. There's the promo for World Net Daily Superstore. And check out that book, Stolen Sovereignty, How to Stop Unelected Judges from Transforming America. And we need to understand that now more than ever, as we see that's exactly what's happening today. Folks, we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Just what kind of thriller predicts the future? In three days in the belly of the beast, Daniel Holdings wrote about the God Particle before CERN actually discovered the God Particle. In As the Darkness Falls, Daniel wrote about an Islamist terrorist confederacy that rose up out of Syria and declared a caliphate three years before ISIS was ever heard of. In his newest novel, Between the Veil, Daniel talks about a space between dimensions where supernatural beings can walk. He says that these novels are a warning from the creator to his creation. Will war come to America? Will the world's economies collapse? Are we looking at increased earthquakes and volcanic activity? Will the United States fall into civil war? You can find all of Daniel's work at his website, DanielHoldings.com. That's DanielHoldings.com. All of these things and more are talked about in Daniel's books. To find out what's coming next, go to DanielHoldings.com. Worldwide demand is making coconuts one of the highest-yielding cash crops available today. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and many high-net-worth individuals have invested billions of dollars into coconuts for strong growth and solid long-term income. Yields could be as high as 18% or more per year. 
Capital appreciation and exceptional income for up to 60 long years would be an absolutely brilliant investment to pass on to future generations. Diversify wisely with direct ownership of fully managed coconuts on prime farmland close to the beautiful Costa Rican border. For more information, qualified accredited investors should go to ProfitsInCoconuts.com or phone 855-888-6288. That's 855-888-6288. This announcement does not constitute an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offer made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288 or visit ProfitsInCoconuts.com. ProfitsInCoconuts.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. At HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman Report, each and every Tuesday night in the third hour, we are joined by Stan Deo from StanDeo.com. Bookmark that site and go there uh, each and every day. You can check out their photo of the day, their video of the day. Holly does a great job of uh, putting all the important news that's up there. And you also have the show images page, which is on the right-hand side. Underneath the YouTube icon, you can click the show images page and follow along with the images and research Stan has put together when he comes on our show each and every Tuesday. And as always, it is fascinating. We get into a number of, of issues, um, earth changes, earthquakes, the, the hurricanes, to uh, stuff that's going on in the Middle East, uh, prophetic stuff, biblical stuff, as well as I see today we're going to be talking a little bit about solar wind and solar flares um, and a number of other things. There's been a lot of activity since Stan has been on uh, the last time. So we will jump right into that. We're still waiting to uh, try to get Stan on, so we will uh, take care of that. Eric, is that a... I know you don't get Stan on. That's a... Is it just... Ah, okay. So I think I'm here. We just need to wait to set something up. That's the, the computer lingo I get. Do we have Stan? Just need to set something up. Uh, Magic one, two, five. A, a great show. Again, Daniel Horowitz was just on, and um, that was a fantastic segment, fantastic hour. Uh, really getting into the inner workings of what is happening in the world of politics between the Democrats and the Republicans and kind of looking at some things that could be done and are not being done versus what are some solutions that will prevent these politicians from getting in the way with this government bureaucracy and this swamp. Um, how can we circumvent that and take the agenda that the American people want to implement and get it behind the right person and implement that? We do have Stan Deo with us. Again, folks, standeo.com. From there, you can bookmark the site, then go to the show images page and follow along with us. 
Stan, it's great to have you back. Can you hear me now? Not loud and clear. <laughs> good. All right. Yeah, good to be back. There's a lot of things happening, as you know, and uh, we'll cover a few of them today. You've seen the show images page. What uh, grabbed your fancy first? Well, you know, um, since we last talked, there was a what was it, an 8.2 earthquake in, in off the coast of Mexico that um, left a few dozen, I think a dozen people dead. There were the fears of this big tsunami that didn't happen. Happen, but the earthquakes was one thing um, that I see you you have a number of uh, graphics up for already. The solar flares. We had a number. We're, we're in the and Stan, you can explain this much better, better than me. We're at a solar minimum cycle, and we're getting X class solar flares. Yeah, normally uh, the sunspot cycle peaks out, and you have the maximum number of sunspots during that period of time, usually a two or three year period. Now, for this sunspot cycle, it's the twenty fourth. We are now at the downside of it, almost the low side of this uh, current cycle as opposed to being at the high side when we have all these uh, sunspots and hence coronal mass ejections and flares, we shouldn't be seeing the flares that we're seeing now and hence the uh, attending uh, coronal mass ejections. This is unusual. Um, and it's not over yet. In fact, there's a, there's a link uh, on our website there on today's thing uh, about um, image 56, I think it is, that takes you over to what's called the solar ham uh, amateur radio station, right? And they gather all the data that is pertinent to, you know, solar you know, uh, uh, wind, which affects radio transmissions and reception. And they've been taking uh, uh, a note of these things, and you can see on the left-hand side of that, if you click on that image and get to solarham.net, you can see the top ten flares, and two of them have occurred um, in the last, what, four weeks. Um you know, and the others were back in 2015 and 14 and 11, but we've had two in this same month, you know, within four days of each other, the 10th and the 6th of September, which is highly unusual. I and think it was uh, an X, X3.2 and an X8.2, number two overall and number seven. Uh, I believe, if I remember the, the... Well, number one is X9.3. 9.3, right. And one is 8.2, uh, which you know, occurred uh, fairly close to the Mexican earthquake. And when these happen, depending upon where the Earth is in the stream of solar wind particles that come out from the sun all the time, it can affect our weather rather quickly, uh, adding energy into the electromagnetic field through the poles, and then hence heat into various portions of the ocean and the air. I was concerned, seeing this happen, that it might affect the hurricane, uh, you know, Irma down at uh, Florida. Um, uh, whether it did or not, I don't know, but certainly the damage is done from that hurricane. So keep an eye on this page. Uh, as I say, it tells us a number of things, and one of them uh, is the, uh, when you're on that page, is the the pattern of the, the uh, solar wind. And if you go down the page on the left, you'll see some colored pictures. One says global delayer absorption in the atmosphere and then uh, CME prediction models. And if you click on the right part of that CME prediction model thing, you'll see uh, like a spiral. And that gives you an idea looking at that, how the uh, in fact, click on the second image on that there, which shows an animation of the, the spinning 
solar wind as it passes the Earth, which is the yellow dot in this circle. And that that passing solar wind at the moment is where that red and white density is. So we're getting a, a blast of stuff which will pass us in the next day or so. Uh, but visiting this page frequently will keep you up to date on where the solar wind particles are the most dense and where we are uh, relative to them. This is something that, that my research team and I follow fairly closely uh, as we're researching ways to produce uh, electricity for the home from atmospheric uh, electrostatic waves created by the solar wind, the vibrations that on our upper atmosphere. Uh, we're just continuing the research of Dr. Moray back in 1935 or so. Um, anyway, this map tells us a number of things. If you look down at the top of the page of Solar Ham, and on the right-hand side, you'll see a bunch of um, little squiggly lines, blues, orange, and yellows, and a graph on the right underneath the pictures of the sun. And if you click on that, it will give you a, a view of uh, a number of things. One of them in blue there called the, the, the phi uh, factor, the phi degree. And what that is, is uh, the angle at which the solar wind is hitting our planet from uh, 135 degrees up to uh, 360 or so, it shows it there. And the major activity is hitting us at an angle of about 135 degrees rather than straight on. You can see by the little blue dots there. And the speed, which is right now, the speed is picking up. It is at about um, 650 kilometers per second, it looks like, in that yellow graph down there. These things all help us to uh, calibrate our, our own tests uh, and the frequencies we're looking for on a broad-spectrum analyzer. That's just technical talk for what we're doing anyway. But it's interesting, and I think people should have a look at that. Um, the, Absolutely. You know, the, yeah, there are a number of articles that you can link to off of the news about the uh, solar flares that the sun has been producing and how abnormal that is. Uh, I think, as I've been uh, kind of warning all along, we're going to see an increase in coronal mass ejections and solar ejecta and particles being emitted from the sun as it goes through a phase state change. If you'll look at um, at the show image page, go back to that now. Uh, let me just find the link to that. Uh, image 54. If you click on image 54, it'll take you to an article that NASA has on its site. Now, in 1992, uh, I was down in Australia, of course, and I was talking by phone to an Air Force officer in charge of measuring the ionospheric uh, status, you know, the, of the upper atmosphere, the charge and wind velocities and stuff from the solar wind. And there I got a direct report from that officer saying, okay, look, in 1992, we started noticing these, uh, you know, early this year they were saying, we started noticing two new uh, frequencies coming from the sun in the ultraviolet range. And so I filed that away in my mind, and years later I started looking for it, trying to find the report of that. And that report has kind of been buried somewhere. But NASA has come out with this page I, I linked to there, showing that over the last 30 years, there's a, there's a little graph there, and you can click on it, it's got a purple graph. And you click on that, and it shows the percentage of change in ultraviolet coming from the sun. It doesn't say what frequencies, but I'll tell you right now, it's in the frequency range that the, the officer was telling me about. On the left side of this purple line, 
is in the um, the uh, uh, I think it's the northern hemisphere. They're using it on the right is the southern hemisphere. But notice that there's been a significant jump of like um, let's see, uh, twenty five to twenty seven percent increase in the ultraviolet radi- radiation coming from the sun since nineteen seventy nine to two thousand nine. Uh, they don't show exactly uh, what. Uh, year the major boost took place, but I suspect it was probably around 1992 when those two new spectral lines appeared. Now, this tells us, and it tells the scientists that are reporting it, that the sun is changing its nuclear chemistry. The formula is changing. It, it uh, should normally emit the same kind of radiation, the same frequencies, you know, uh, as a constant, you know, relatively constant. But these are significant changes in the output of the sun. So that tells you we cannot blame a lot of the warming uh, and uh, effects that are like called global warming on people and animals and plants. It is on the sun itself, and this is on NASA's site. There is no question that the alleged global warming by you know cow gas and whatever is a, a farce. It is not based on true science. This is it. And when you can get NASA to be able to release that information, that's good. And so click on that uh, that slide fifty four. Go mark that uh, article and um, read it. You know, after we're off air, or whatever. But it does give you a lot of hard data to prove this. And of course, as I was saying uh, in uh, slide fifty seven above that, in our solar cycle where we are now, this is very unusual to have this many solar flares and other kind of minor magnetic spots in the low part of the solar cycle. I'm going to be quite interested to see what happens in the next few months. Uh, I think we're going to see more surprising activity from the sun. Yeah, you know, uh, Stan, that's very interesting, and and it'll be interesting to see when those findings are published by NASA how they try to spin that, because I guarantee you it won't uh, won't have a headline on it. Um, You know, something's off with the sun or different with the sun, don't blame man-made climate change. They're not gonna. They're not gonna roll out with that. Um, and that, did you guys see the article today that um, talked about they they want to continue to push for uh, laws to punish climate man-made climate uh, change deniers by giving them fines and, and whatnot in America? Yeah, I know. Well, apparently, um, not only Steve Quinn, Alex Jones, but uh, our website and about uh, 397 others have been put on the Google watch list as, yeah, well, both yeah. our websites, as, you know, um, purveyors of things that are not the standard accepted science. And, you know, uh, I don't know what that means they're going to do, uh, you know, uh, eventually shut our sites down or, or deny us in the search engines or whatever. We've already been seeing uh, some evidence of that in the number of people that actually get through to our site. We, we count them by day, and uh, it's dropped. So, And we're there, too, Stan, not only in our website, but also our YouTube channel is ranked separately under the YouTube section of that report. And, I mean, we know what you mean. It, the one thing that bothered me about that report, and I know a lot of our listeners don't know what we're talking about, was that there were some sites that didn't seem like they belonged on there, um, sites that were... Um, much more liberal is in, in mainline, uh, you yeah. know, right up the Obama stuff. It's it, just real weird that the, the few of the a few of the sites that were on there, uh, most of them made sense to me that I knew, but there was a few that didn't seem like they belonged. But anyway, well, I sent an email off to the people that, that wrote the article and I asked them. I said, "Look, if you don't mind, can you tell me how you 
calculated us, us the 400 of us or so that are on the, the Google list because when I put in a search for our website, whatever comes up, your first thing on the top of the page. Um, but there must be something that they're doing that they are allowed to, uh, that these people that did the, the report could put into their search and say these these sites are being hit by Google. Uh, strangely enough, I got some Google ad stuff. I, I paid whatever, 25 bucks a month for it here a couple months ago. And all of a sudden, we started getting more visitors back to our site. And I'm thinking, surely, it's not some kind of a, an economic pressure that Google's putting on us. And if we buy Google AdWords, uh, you know, they leave us alone. But it is funny that once I did that, that our, our hits started to pick up a bit. Yeah, you know, we've been part of the... Um, I, I know what you're talking about, Stan, and um, our website traffic, it's, it's really funny because they'll say, you know, some days... I, I just don't trust the numbers. I'm not going to get into all the, the minutiae of all the numbers that we see that disappear, that, you know drop the pages down that take views away because we see that stuff all the time i mean youtube is all but um crushed us from from being able to generate revenue on their platform and we used to do pretty good generating revenue and not not a lot uh like some of these other youtubers are doing but it was substantial enough that when it was taken away um it hurt and we have not been able to recover that no matter what we do uh, because they continue to disallow ads to be put on our videos and then in my experience even when they don't take the monetization away from you they still don't show the ads on the videos meaning there's no since they you know came after us and demonetized and uh, censored all of our videos basically from advertisers there has been no growth since then and I think that's what they really want they want people to be so and thank God for the listening audience that we have and the supporters and investors that we have because without you guys it would we wouldn't be it wouldn't be possible for us to do this. And I think that's one area that they were looking for, YouTube was looking for, and Google also was to be able to, well, if we can take their revenue sources away, they'll go away. And maybe that wasn't as easy as they thought it would be. Yeah, I know. they. Uh, I, I just stopped trying to monetize the things because they hit me with so many things. Oh, this is a copyright violation, and then you get that cleared up, and then, you know, all of a sudden the, the number of hits to the thing drops down. You know, there's something going on in the background. Obviously, they want to stop the uh, the Christian, uh, you know, conservative uh, presence on the, the the internet. We're really the only kind of basically factual uh, news source that's there. Uh, and if you talk about the Earth is round instead of flat, you'd think that that would be a good thing. But even that kind of stuff is censored. So you got to go with the accepted. Uh, scientific thing uh, and, and, and the earth has been this diameter all the time it's never been smaller and uh, the universe is 15 billion years old and not much younger you know you can't even have these discussions it's censorship extreme <laughs> yeah well no Stan it's not, it's not just that remember um, when it comes to uh, you know climate change and um, uh, what's Darwin evolution this is mm-hmm. according to Obama these are settled sciences right I mean, the science yeah. is settled. Yeah, <laughs> and have you ever, ever known that to be the truth with anything? But anyway, um, it is a joke hey, um, the way that they that the way they are. These same companies who um, no by no accident have the most you know liberal globalist you know Marxist people who run them and are intermingled with the government are the ones who control now the information that is disseminated over the internet. It's pretty. Um, it's pretty unbelievable. It's really like 
Fahrenheit, 458 to booby, or like uh, 1984, uh, we're mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. It's just a little late, but we're there. Yep. And, and along those lines, uh, you know, I watch earthquakes, as do a number of other uh, guys that uh, study earthquake patterns and try to forecast things. Slide 43, if you click on that, it will zoom into an article. Earthquakes continue in southeast Idaho, but exact number is hard to pinpoint. Now, this comes from the Idaho State Journal, you know, news item. Now, I was watching the earthquakes at Soda Springs. We talked about last week and the week before. And at that time, I was well over 1,850 earthquakes that I got off of USGS, you know, 1,850. And it went over 2,000. And now all of a sudden, no, there's only about maybe 380 earthquakes that have occurred in this latest you know, uh, swarm of earthquakes there. Uh, it's, it's hard to be exact about the number because of mining and various other things. But yet from their own site, we had thousands that occurred there. And they just have disappeared it. You know, you go and look at their search engine now, it's not there anymore as far as the thousand. But that is kind of altering the data. You know, um, <laughs> I, I've been very fascinated by your the, the, the stuff that you've presented about Yellowstone and the, the magma chamber and the movement and the earthquakes surrounding it. And it's still fascinating, Stan. I mean, I, I have to read, I'll have to go through and read this article. Um, from IdahoStateJournal.com. Earthquakes continue in southeast Idaho, but exact number is hard to pinpoint. Wow. What 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 a bunch of it. Go down to, uh, let's see, maybe it's 37, 38, 39. There's three of them. One's uh, earthquakes uh, for the year in the lower 48 USA uh, for 2015. The next one is for the same thing in 2016. The next thing is uh, to this year up to the 12th of September. Um, and it looks like we might have nearly a thousand nine hundred sixty so by the end of the year on the basis of what we're seeing. But look at image thirty seven first, blow it up, and you will see that in twenty fifteen there were a number of earthquakes in the New Madrid fault line, fault line that was uh, uh, three point five or over three Richter three. Mm-hmm. There were four of them. Okay, and then you look up near uh, Yellowstone on the left there, where the little yellow lines for seismic events are. You know the and you'll see that there were several kind of biggish ones around that area. Now then you go back to the next slide uh, a year later in 2016, and you'll see there's only three in New Madrid, and but there's still more up there along Yellowstone and Idaho and down the Rockies, down toward uh, Southern uh, California, and a kind of an arc. And then we'll go to the next slide, which is slide 39. And this year, already, we have five over Richter 3 in the New Madrid zone. We have quite a few up uh, in Montana and down in Soda Springs, which is that orange dot there, and a number of them uh, in the uh, western side of uh, Yellowstone. Uh, I forget the name of the exact center. Stan, before you jump into what you've seen in this, I just want to ask you a question. If you're looking at where the New Madrid section on this map is, where 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 are in that yellow zone, to the right of that, it looks like there's four earthquakes somewhere near southern Ohio, Pennsylvania border, maybe West Virginia in that area. Yeah. Um, there was only one there the the previous year, and then the year before that there was none. What would, is, do you think that's something like fracking? Is this um, just being between? Because they're in a pretty blue zone, and I know that can happen, but there seems to be some overlapping ones there. Uh, you know, I don't know. 
Uh, normally okay. with fracking, you'll have a bundle. Uh, look at uh, this year's plot yeah, in Oklahoma. Yeah, Oklahoma. I mean, you know, uh, maybe it's because there's so many uh, fracking uh, positions there. But in the area you're talking about up there, you know, in Virginia, West Virginia, that area, um, that, you know, there might be four in that that I see. You kind of got to wonder whether that's really earthquakes or something. It's just a, a new fault opening up. I don't I don't see it yeah. as a, a pattern. Um, okay. Okay. And, and look over to the left. I mean, you know, the western United States, yeah, you could draw kind of a, an oval shape, football shape, around the northwest United States and see that these swarms that we're having are outlining instabilities in the Rockies going right on down to the west side of Yellowstone and down heading toward Nevada and then into Southern California. Now, I, I keep kind of stressing, I think we're seeing development of major stress releases somewhere along that line uh, and leading to the uh, San Andreas and the Imperial Fault Zone south of Los Angeles. It might even connect across to Los Angeles from the San Andreas. So keep an eye on these things. Uh, what we're seeing here is the development of some patterns that are definitely new. That's why I put the, the two years before type uh, plots. Um, and in that vein, up at images 40 through 42, I, I looked at, let's look at number 40, which is a graph I did today, analyzing the amount of seismic energy released per month in earthquakes in the lower 48 states for the last... Um, what was that, about 11 years, a little over 11 years? Or no, it just, goes just back to 2006 to um, January 2006, yeah, till now. And you'll see that uh, in around 2008, we had a lot of seismic energy released in that uh, period of time. Now, the little black line uh, in that curve is the the uh, fork or the the mean, if you wish, the trend line, which uses a polynomial equation to the sixth power to estimate where it's going now on the right side of the graph. And you can see that they're estimating that the, the amount of energy release will be greater based upon the, the rolling average there. Um, when I say the amount of energy, you know, if you get a Richter six, that would be 10 with, or you know, one with uh, six zeros behind it. If you get a Richter seven, that's one with seven zeros behind it. It's a, a factor of ten increase, not just one. You know, from six to seven, you think, ah, oh, it's, it's a, an increase of one, you know, uh, Richter, right. so that's not a big deal. But it's actually ten times the energy. So I actually went and calculated every earthquake in that period of time and converted the, 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 the magnitude to the actual amount of energy it released. Now, from that, you can see that back in 2008, uh, we had some significant uh, releases of energy through the year, early and toward the late, uh, latter part of the year in December. Now then, we are at kind of above average where we are in this year, and it may be that it's going to be greater. Uh, again, forecast on a statistical uh, average using a polynomial equation. Go to, go to the next slide, 41. Are we at break yet? Close. Stan, we are we are gonna we are gonna skip this break and just continue on unless you want to take it. No, 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 that's fine. Okay. All right, let's go to that next slide then to slide forty-one, and this one is just the magnitudes versus the energy. This is the magnitudes from which I was able to plot that uh, 
first graph I was showing you in the same time period from January the 1st, 2006 until September the 12th this year. And the red line is, again, the trend line on the magnitude of the earthquakes occurring. And you can see, sure enough, down there that 2009 had more magnitude values occurring, you know, on a daily basis than 2008, yet the energy released in 2008 on that former graph was much greater. Uh, where we are now on the right side of the graph, you can see it's starting to climb up above the point where it was at the beginning of the graph in 2006, as far as the magnitudes of the quakes that we're seeing right up until today. It's on, on an increase. Um, and then the third graph, graph 42, just shows the numbers of earthquakes by month. It doesn't tell you the magnitude, just the numbers of them. And you'll see that for 2008, the number was on average of about 75 per month at maximum, a small little peak. You get to 2010, wow, we had a bunch of them, but not so much energy. They're a bunch of small ones. Um, where we are now on the right side of the graph, we're at kind of a mean average uh, for the whole period. So the numbers are versus the energy and the magnitudes are different stories, but put all three of those on there because they are, uh, each tell a different story about what our quakes are doing. Okay. It's very interesting, Stan. Um, I've never done a, a computer graph like that, but I got some numbers I'd like to look at. Um, I wonder, yeah, maybe I'll have to sit down or Eric to show me how to copy and paste data from USGS and implement it into a program that spits you out a graph like that. Well, uh, Excel. Noticed, okay. I've noticed for about 10 years now, there is a, I would call it an irregular amount of earthquakes with a magnitude of 10 kilometers or 6.2 miles. You mean a depth? In depth, yes. Right, yeah. And I think, uh, I mean, I've been following this for years, and, and it seems like half the earthquakes, and I think I asked you about this before, Stan, and you said you weren't sure, but it could be something like a um, just a number given um, at first until they have more information. Or, But I went back and looked, and a lot of the quakes are still listed at that depth, and I just wonder if there's some reason behind it, if there's some something at that depth that, um, who knows what I'm thinking. I just spotted to me what looked like an anomaly in the numbers, seeing that number repeat constantly while reading earthquake data, and I thought it was kind of strange. Well, it uh, they do it by band. You know, they fall within that band rather than the exact depth. And, you know, it, they may vary by a kilometer or so, but they're basically they're within the 33-kilometer depth uh, from the surface down for, you know, the majority of the quakes that we see. But at, say, on the West Pacific uh you know, the ring of fire, when you get some that are down several hundred miles deep, you know, um, then those are very deep events happening on plate tectonic uh, borders, whereas these shallow quakes can occur, you know, as surface ground movements and little, they're like usually uh, more devastating effects when they're strong, but uh, in essence, they're like a, a ripple compared to these deep earthquakes that occur. And I personally think the deeper quakes along, say, the west coast of the United States are things to be watched. Um, they're telling you when, you know, the pressure between the two plates slipping over each other, one over the other, is reaching a point where it suddenly releases a large amount of energy deep, then that tells you we may be close to the big one on the surface. It may shake the heck out of the surface. You don't want to see strong, deep earthquakes on our fault lines uh, along the coast there. But anyway, okay. that's something we can we can have a look at. You, you, 
in essence, to answer your question, you know, from zero to 33 kilometers, there's somewhere in that range, is kind of just a band of depth that they, they put it into rather than giving, you know, uh, 29.5 kilometers versus 33. Okay. No, I appreciate that insight, Stan. Yeah. There's a lot. Hey, you know, weather stuff. Uh, Holly was telling me today, I had a look at it, that there were uh, this lightning storm that occurred over San Francisco about yeah, uh, what, two days ago. strikes or something. Oh, 1,200 yeah, lightning strikes to ground, but another 5,800 in cloud-to-cloud and internal cloud discharges. 7,000 in total in, in that uh, wow. storm. Uh, that's impressive. If you look at slide 46, yeah. 47, you can see that one shows 5,800 lightning flashes in cloud, and the other one shows 1,200 that actually hit the ground. There are so many pictures on it that the news story on it, you go to slide 48, and you can click on to the the news story, and they have, I think, about 53 images that people have sent in because everybody was, you know, amateur photographers were taking time-lapse photographs of these uh, lightning flashes. Um, and I thought, wow, that's neat. I would like to have been there to see that. And then on the other hand, maybe not. Uh, yeah, Holly's laughing at me, but that's... Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, I, I do. She says, I stand out on the porch when we have lightning storms here with my camera. Yeah, yeah, I'll get that one. I'll get these. But um, there in San, uh, San Francisco, it's um, it's interesting because if you look at slide 43, I went to that uh, uh, website, uh, Nullwind, whatever thing, that lets you plot the currents of the ocean and the air currents at altitudes and various things like that to look at hurricanes. But you can also... Uh, configure it like I have here, where you're looking at ocean currents, and you're looking at sea surface temperature anomalies, you know, anomalous sea surface temperatures, and uh, you can run it back and forth in time. You can you know, run your date back you know, a long way. And what I did here was just on the, the 10th of this month, right when all this stuff was happening with San Francisco. Now, uh, that uh, little green circle there is right outside the you know, San Francisco Bay there. And I noticed that the temperature was over three degrees centigrade above average for this time. And out away from shore, where the blue is, it was a half a degree centigrade lower. Now, why is this interesting? Oh, you know, um, about uh, 3.6 degrees, three and a half degrees centigrade difference. Two degrees centigrade on a global average is enough to throw us into uh, an ice age. But temporarily, what this does here is generate a horrific um, weather machine, a thunder and, and a lightning storm machine, because of these differences of temperature and because of the circulating currents. You can see those little kind of gray lines are showing the circulation patterns off the shore there, uh, off the shore of uh, San Francisco. All these things combined made a perfect environment for an electrical storm that was impressive. And I don't think this is the last one we're going to see. Uh, it may not be at that point, but you have to watch these um, uh, thermal variations in the in the sea, and that'll tell you a lot on the coastlines about where storms are going to generate that are horrific. I've been telling people this for years, as you know, that as we enter into this uh, period of solar uh, change, that the extremes in the climate are going to produce extreme drought, extreme rainfall, hurricanes and tornadoes. And, of course, extreme thunderclouds and, and, and thunderstorms. And we're starting to see that happen now very rapidly. And slide 44 right next to Stan, it. Stan, if yeah. I could real quick, 
uh, while we're on the West Coast there, talking about San Francisco, did you see the uh, what the microburst in Santa Barbara that happened last week? <clears throat> all these people on a beach. There was a few videos of it, but it uprooted palm trees, and I mean, it was a pretty. I mean, it left a lot of damage. It looked like a tornado or a hurricane uh, roared through there. And if you watch the video, there's all all these people on a beach, maybe a hundred people on a beach, and all of a sudden these violent winds come. Uh, and, you know, start knocking over trees, you know, grabbing their umbrellas from the beaches, and people are starting to grab their stuff and run. But uh, it was this, this uh, what they call the coll- a collapsing thunderstorm, they say, that created these huge microbursts. And in this one area of Santa Barbara, just tore up a whole bunch of stuff like a like an F1 or F2 tornado had come through there. It was pretty interesting. If you get a chance, check it out. I'll check it out. I, I know that we're expecting more of that kind of thing. Even uh, Ed Dames, when he was on Coast to Coast years ago, um, in fact, I talked while we were doing a video together out there in Hollywood, and he said we're going to see more of these microbursts as we get closer to the what he called the, the warning shot from the sun, a, a particular event on the sun, the kill shot, he calls it. And uh, even at that time, there'd already been a microburst that had hit in the mountains of uh, northeast United States, somewhere there. Uh, which had cut a swath of pine trees, just chopped them off like a scythe that come through there. The microbursts had winds of up to 200, 250 miles an hour. And uh, yeah. wow. if you if you look at this program here, this no uh, wind program here, I forget the exact name of the URL, but you can you can find it on my site. But look at that at the altitude where the pressure is almost zero at the edge of space to our atmosphere. And you'll see that only there do you find 200 to 250 mile an hour winds. So it's like in one of the movies we saw where all of a sudden those winds, by some circumstance, are forced down to the surface, bringing cold, high-speed winds, which just come down. And, you know, it's like maybe what hit the the woolly mammoths with their meals still in their mouth, and they got quick frozen from these high-altitude, high-speed, cold winds that just drop down like, you know, a freezer on top of them. So I think it's important to watch these things. Now, uh, look at the next slide over. I'm still going on San yeah. Francisco. Uh, yeah, this is uh, pretty interesting. The the CO2 um, mm. carbon dioxide concentration at surface. Yeah, yeah. You see, it's all along the coast there, um, from San Francisco down to LA and slightly south of LA, with strong concentration of carbon dioxide. At the same time, they had that offshore cooling and heating onshore. And this vortex shows you the wind pattern, prevailing wind pattern, blowing that stuff all along the coast. When you when you blow hot air and uh, next to cold air, you're going to generate. It's like a a vanograph generator. You're going to generate some huge voltages, and you know strip off ions of one cloud and cause them to short and make the the lightning. Um, of course, I guess this is a great argument for global warming due to CO2. But in this particular case, it added to. A natural event uh, that uh, it just intensified it. And the next image over uh, 44 shows you the temperature gradient uh, there at San Francisco um, and, and uh, inland at uh, kind of northwest, beat Nevada area in the southern uh, Baja region. The red shows the temperature uh, was heightened there uh, at the surface, and the. The, the streaks, of course, show the pattern of that vortex offshore. Now, it's, that vortex is big, so it wasn't a hurricane, but it was certainly a, uh, a vortexual phenomenon in the in the Pacific off the coast there. When you put all those three factors together, you get what caused uh, that 
Lightning Show there in San Francisco. And I've seen a, a, a number of, you know, the sci-fi movies. One of them recently was about some effect uh, from the sun, I think, directly, that generated lightning strikes on the surface. I forget the name of the movie. It's one of those B-grade movies. But this is kind of what we're seeing here is due to solar heating. And we've had these flares, and we've had the, the uh, CME and the energy added to our atmosphere. We're seeing this terrific bunch of lightning strikes, and I think we're going to see a lot more of them. Yeah, uh, that's pretty interesting how you how you broke that all down and um, showing the different components that make up that make this up or make these conditions right for this to happen. That's very fascinating, Stan. Well, look, uh, I try to share how I do it and why, so that people can go on and do that themselves during the week or whenever to keep an eye on developing conditions around where they live or where relatives live. Um, so you've seen the footprints here, so if you see them again somewhere, then realize that something bad is probably about to happen. Uh, yeah. Do you ever go to that uh, geoengineering site, uh, that guy? Um, Geoengineeringwatch.org, Dane Wigington. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I support what he does. I've, I've emailed him to him. I really think he's doing a great job of showing how geoengineering has progressed from the early, well, the 1972 until now. And the treaties involved, I mean, you know, you can see the, the the various things if you look in the government site, even for the treaties, the weather warfare treaties that were signed and ratified in 1978 to prevent certain types of weather warfare. But it didn't cover everything that could possibly be done. I just put that link up in case you hadn't put it up for your listeners to go see that. Um, a rather interesting event. Yeah. Yeah, and I think Dane's coming up. Uh, Dane's going to be on. He's been a guest before. He's going to be on in the next few weeks. I can't remember uh, if it's this Friday or next Friday, but he is coming back on. So That's an exhaustive uh, research site. I just think it's just really great research. Uh, and, uh, you know, my hat's off to him on that subject. It's really good. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, where did you want to go next, Dan? Well, um, slide 51 first. Uh, this is about right. um, an asteroid that's going to come near the Earth the 12th of October. We've talked about this before. But mm-hmm. when you click on the picture, it takes you to the article, the Catalog of Earth Satellites, and shows you high Earth, mid-Earth, and low Earth orbit satellites, right? Now, the high Earth and geosynchronous orbits, that's ones that stay in the same place over the Earth's surface. These are used for communication, satellite, you know, GPS, and, and radio and TV and stuff like that. They're around uh, 36,000 kilometers, which would be roughly uh, 20-some-odd thousand miles, 25,000 miles. And you, when you see this, okay, you think, well, okay, we've got whatever it is, 380 satellites up in that area, no big deal. There's uh, 165 geosynchronous ones in that area on the, the western hemisphere, on the eastern hemisphere. Up above us, there's 87. And to the left of slide 51 and slides 49 and 50, I've got a PDF that you can download, which I pulled off of the Internet, which tells you which satellites certain countries have put up into orbit, in stationary orbit, at least the ones that they're willing to make public, right? Um, and you look at how many things could be affected if one or more of these were affected by an incoming asteroid or meteor shower that hit a few of them at once. Now, usually asteroids don't come by themselves. They have a lot of trailing debris.
debris. And what they're saying for the 12th of October one is it's going to dive down into the geosynchronous satellite orbital band. It's going to be somewhere in the midst of all these, you know, 200 and some odd uh, known uh, high-altitude uh, geosynchronous satellites, which could hit, you know, direct TV, could telephones, they could hit GPS, military, the Millstar satellite uh, constellation, all kinds of stuff. And why am I concerned about this? Well, I don't know. Gee, <laughs> it might create chaos on the surface of the Earth for some time if it impacted or uh, changed the orbit of some of these satellites. You see what I'm saying? It's uh, They're not oh, yeah. playing it up, but this is definitely a, a situation to watch. Any uh, where's the where does the ISS is that um, not in the same orbit classes classes? No, it's it's lower. Uh, it's uh, okay. you know, a few hundred miles above us. But um, uh, you know, we have several threats to the astronauts. Normally, you know, radiation and uh, micrometeorites and things like that. But putting them down close in the atmosphere or the upper atmosphere like that, which is very thin, it still gives them a modicum of support as far as you know, the tiny particles coming you know, their way. A lot of them are just vaporized uh, and don't hit the ISS. And let's face it, to hit the ISS or to hit some of these high orbit satellites, even pinpoint dust particles traveling at these, you know, 30, 40,000 kilometers per second speed, these things uh, are so far apart, you know, the, the particles, that it is kind of a, a random and very low probability that they will actually hit or impact any of these satellites. But I still feel that it's, um, you know, I I don't want to see them do tests on that particular asteroid to move it out unless they can move it out long before it gets into our upper atmosphere, our upper orbital uh, band there. I just think it's risky. But then that's just me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, it's definitely interesting. Uh, October 12th. Uh, something to keep your eyes on, because uh, who knows? Who knows what could happen? All right, now hopefully nothing though. Let's talk Ark of the Covenant and where it is. Yeah, I I, uh, I saw this image and uh, knew what it was immediately, and said, "All right, Stan is going to get into this tonight." You bet. Now, I went to Google and looked up Temple Mount and got some pictures and stuff that I can talk to. I, I don't have them up on the screen, but it's the Temple Mount viewed from the mm, southern wall. Now, the Wailing Wall is on the left or the west side of the Temple Mount, and you can see it in most photographs. It's down there where people are milling around. It's a little band, like a, a, you know, a little length of um, a rectangular shape where the top of the wall is. But the actual Temple of Solomon was never rebuilt, and it was certainly not on the Temple Mount where the, the Dome of the Rock is and that kind of stuff. The Temple of Solomon was built a few hundred feet south of the Wailing Wall outside the Temple Mount Foundation. Today, if you look at it, there's some little gardens planted right outside the Temple Mount Foundation on the southwest corner. Okay. The, the uh, old Temple of Solomon, uh, the ruins of it are underneath there. And that there okay. was a tunnel and a, a cave, uh, like an opening, a cavern, where the five major artifacts of the Temple of Solomon were placed uh, by King Josiah before they were even threatened with an invasion. He put it there for safekeeping. To the right, uh, or to the east side of the Temple Mount, down at the southeast corner, there's a lot 
lot of debris and stuff, which was probably part of the city of David, outside the Temple Mount Foundation that people are talking about now. So it's outside that whole thing. And, and if we were to rebuild the Temple of Solomon in its proper place, it would be off of the Temple Mount Foundation entirely. Um, and the research being put in by a number of uh, you know, researchers about this is such that we're seeing um, uh, the location of it being in that area about five stories down. Um, and it's not really been lost. It's just been hidden. Uh, one of the things that's interesting in this article that I linked to underneath that picture is this. The the Levites, who were the priests in charge of you know guarding the, the, the temple artifacts and the, the temple itself in the wilderness, their lifespan was shorter than the average person's lifespan because being uh, close to the, the Ark, the Arun HaKodesh, the radiation from it shortened their lifespan. And the members of the tribe of Levi were, you know, there was a smaller number of them per capita than, you know, elsewhere in the other 11 tribes because they were uh, exposed to this radiation. So if you look over at uh, Eritrea, for instance, where they say they've got the Ark of the Covenant there in that uh, place, it's, you know, locked out for people to visit. There's one, one priest guy that watches over the Ark there. Well, he's an old guy with a beard. They lived a long time. If they were being exposed, as the Tanakh said, or the, you know, as the uh, old Jewish literature says, then he would have died young and been replaced by another a lot quicker than he is now. We're fairly certain that what he has looks like an Ark of the Covenant, but it's a, a copy made. And there were several copies of the five major artifacts of the temple made and distributed at the time to fool people who would try to get the real item. And I suspect that's what we saw on the... Uh, the carvings that showed uh, Romans taking, you know, the candelabra in a box on, you know, two uh, uh, rods that could have been the Ark of the Covenant. They were probably taking duplicates, not the real deal, because we know that from Scripture that uh, when the real deal was uh, stolen by the, uh, what was it, the Philistines, was it, the north of Israel there, anyway, the pox came on them and everybody got sick that came closer, and so they said, here, take it back, we don't want it. Um and, you know, even the the Jewish uh, people that took the Ark of the Covenant that was being pulled by that ox on a cart, uh, they had to stay clear of it. And one man, a Jewish man, saw that the Ark was going to fall off because the, the, the cart was in a ditch, you know, as the ox, ox was pulling it, and it was going to turn over. So he reached up to touch it and was instantly killed, you know, not because God was mad, but because it was a charged object and you're not supposed to mess with it. Um, so... This tells us that wherever it is, it's not in the public eye anywhere. I think it's still buried, as this guy says, down about four or five stories deep underneath the southwest corner of the Temple Mount. And, you know, the southeast corner was uh, Solomon's uh, horse uh, stables, you know, where you bucked out the horses and all that kind of stuff. You wouldn't think the ark would be there. It'd have to be up where the temple was on the southwest corner. Anyway, the... The, the Ark, I think, was hidden there in about 586 B.C., uh, as this article points out. Um, and Yeah, so. that's an interesting article, Stan. Um, and there are many different stories, and, and uh, you know, the art, as the even the author points out, you know, many researchers, uh, when studying the Ark, find themselves going to Ethiopia, um, you know, to look there. And, but he comes back, brings it back around, saying that 
um, to this very day it is still under the Temple Mount uh, directly beneath the Holy of Holies uh, as you said and that it's still there and minus a, a, a war between uh, with Israel you would not there's no reason to dig that up they go on to say but um fascinating i love ark of the covenant stuff i mean you talk about the the uh inspiration for all any and all treasure hunters um you know that's the the story right there at least the story um the true story is much better in my opinion than just a treasure hunting story but either yeah. way it's uh it's fascinating stuff well um uh, jewish uh, legend or myth, whatever, does say that when the Ark of the Covenant is recovered, uh, when the Messiah returns, that when it is brought to light, you know, above the surface, that uh, it will actually recreate the temple of the wilderness. It will, um, the cloth and stuff that was there will become new again, and the posts that were holding up the cloth around the temple of the wilderness where the Holy of Holies was will renew all the uh, uh, brass and copper and gold ornaments will renew and it will function again as it was then. Remember, the Ark of the Covenant was one of two devices mentioned. One was there with the, the, the tribe of Israel and the Holy of Holies place, and the other was with God, God's Ark of the Covenant, which you can see references to in the Revelation of John. So but these two things were an open communication, like almost a wormhole between God's dwelling and us here on the earth. And so messing with that is something that only people who know what they're doing should ever do. So amateur fortune hunters and stuff like that looking for it, even if they were allowed to get that close there, should be dissuaded from doing so. Uh, I did talk to uh, one particular researcher, uh, Ron Wyatt, who thought it was over at another place in Israel near the uh, Skull Rock. But, um, you know, he said he'd gotten close enough that he could see uh, with a little TV camera through a hole that it was there. And uh, one to know how to approach it. And I told him, well, first of all, don't. But, you know, if you're insisting on it, be sure that, you know, you have a, a good electrical ground attached to you and out to, you know, a, a deep ground to a water well source because the rumors are that there's extremely high voltage and uh, radiation associated with it. Um, you know, and uh, I, I talked to Jonesy about that too. Bendel uh, uh, Jones, we were talking about if we ever found it there in the caves, you know, how would we approach it? And, uh, how would we lay the grounding wires and shield ourselves, you know, uh, and he even talked to a couple of rabbis there in Jerusalem about what they thought uh, one should do if uh, one discovered it or thought they had, and, and their advice was, you know, the same. Don't uh, tell us where it is, but stay out of the way and let people who are trained in this, you know, like Levite priests, let them do it because they have to dress a certain way, they have to wear oil on their body a certain way, they have to not lift their feet but drag their feet when they approach it to keep the, the potential from building up between their feet and killing them. All makes sense in physics, but that was that was the story about that. So I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing the Messiah, you know, myself. Uh, we're certainly getting close to that period of time here. I think that uh, things will happen and many of us will get to see him. Yeah, many people uh, think that, Stan, and um, especially after this last week, you know, we see a lot of you know, prophecy brought up when we, we saw the two hurricanes there in the uh, Atlantic and then the, the earthquake and then back to Harvey. With the increase in weather and stuff, we, we saw a lot of that, especially right after the eclipse and before this planetary alignment that's coming up on the 23rd. 
But either way, uh, it will come when it comes. And we True. Can all and we'll be doing a show with you guys. We'll be doing your show on the 19th of this month and possibly on the 26th if we're still here, hey? Uh, I'm going to be, uh, yep, my calendar says I'll be here on the 26th, Dan. So barring an act of God, I'll be here. <laughs> Understood. <laughs> Understood. Yeah. Um, yeah, we uh, we only got a, a few minutes left in in this segment, Stan. Did you? I don't know if you heard heard us talk about this or not, but maybe you find this interesting. Lee Harvey Oswalt file turns up missing one month before uh, supposed to be released to public. A declassified CIA record shows that one set, Volume Five, is missing. Um, this is this was discovered by JFK researcher Malcolm Blunt. Says it's significant and. It was one of the CIA files on Oswald. Now, by law, the U.S. government files on the assassination of Kennedy must be released by October 26, 2017, and that's all U.S. government files. Well, they just went back and looked, and one of the CIA's volumes of files on Lee Harvey Oswald is now missing. Pretty well, interesting Well, I, I don't know why or who, but I also know that uh, Lyndon Johnson, when he, you know, he was president, he sealed up all the files he had on the assassination under presidential seal for 98 years, which means that it would be like something like um, 20, uh, what was it, uh, 2065, 2067 before those could be released. Yeah. So they're, they're still, I mean, why are they being that picky about it, you know? I mean, let's, let's see the truth. Everybody involved is probably dead now. I don't know about now, but in, in that 40, 50 years, they will be. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, now, on our uh, the show images page, here, let me just get back to it here. Uh, we've done that, we've done that, yeah. Okay, uh, as was last week, I've got up the top, image 59. Uh, a lady sent this to me. Uh, it's a PDF you can download. It's only about one page, really, from Luke 21 through uh, verses 25 to 28. Um, I'm sure you probably already heard this, but I'll read it again for those that haven't. And there shall be signs in the sun, and in the moon, and in the stars, and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, and the sea and the waves roaring. Now, right there alone, we can see that we've had, uh, you know, uh, a solar eclipse, uh, all the sun and the moon, but the sun is acting up, and the, the pattern in the stars, in Revelation 12, we see that. Distress of nations, well, is that distress of uh, genetic types or physical nations? It doesn't matter, both seem to work. And of course, with the hurricanes and uh, with uh, earthquakes making the the uh, tidal waves occur, and the waves from a hurricane sweeping over the land, you know, with the the the, uh, the storm tides and things surges. Anyway, going to the next verse, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Uh, believe me, if you're one of the millions that've been impacted by losing your home and, and business and everything by these uh, hurricanes. And not to mention what's coming with the earthquakes on the way, uh, you can understand their fear because everything they held dear is gone, wiped out. Mm-hmm. Verse 27, and then they shall see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and glory after these things have occurred. And when these things begin to come to pass, look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draws near, it says. And of course, as you see in the, in the PDF, if you download it, uh, it talks about the eclipse, eclipse, and at the time they made this, there was only an X point, uh, nine point three. But there's also an X eight point two flare as well. Um, yeah, you can see. And that's um, that's fascinating, Stan. And you know, we do um, 
we do want to keep our eye on the the spiritual time, the spiritual season that we're in, especially um, you know with what we have coming up. We still got a lot of stuff coming up. A lot of people still expect uh, you know some high earthquake activities. Are keeping their eye on the sun, as you said. We got that asteroid coming up, so a lot of things to consider. And what's going on with North Korea? Uh, we got to talk about that at some point too. Standeo.com, Stan and Holly Deo. I want to thank you both so much. Folks, go to standeo.com, bookmark the website, check out all the books and great content they got on their site. Stan, until next week, we'll see you then. Lord willing, you bet. Bye-bye now. Good night. All right, folks, that'll do it for us. Until tomorrow, stay safe, God bless, have a great night. We'll be back tomorrow.